The following is a presentation of AOW Productions. This program contains adult content. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts of this program do not necessarily stand to reflect those of this station or its management. Bringing you controversy at its best with uncensored music, comedy, and political discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Outlaw Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Outlaw Radio for the 25th of September, 2021. I am your host, Bad Billy. Got a great motherfucking show lined up for you today. In just a little bit, you're going to hear a conversation that I had with the one and only Jericho Green. Yes, welcoming him back to the show. And we got some things to discuss going on the state of California and across the country. In the second half, as I promised last week, uh, you heard me uh, with the interview uh, with uh, Tony Lopez last week, Tony Kryptonite Lopez, talking about bare-knuckle boxing. Well, I said that uh, I would play the original interview this week that I conducted with him uh, back in 2011. Yes, so 10 years ago was the first time I talked to him. And uh, we had a great conversation then talking more about his MMA career. So AOW Classics coming up in the second hour. And uh, third hour, got the Steve solution. Before I get to any of that, I want to cue a song by the rapper who goes by the name of Burden. This is Message from America. We'll be back with the interview with Jericho Green, right after this. And we go a little something like this. Hit it. And now, from a rented basement, because Bad Billy's mom threw him out, it's Outlaw Radio. Home and making sign. America's in distress. Put our future on the line. Look around, it's a mess. We took a turn. Now everything you say is offensive. And we slowly losing our freedom. Ain't got no defense. We can raise the black flag if they want war. Had mercy for the enemy, but don't know more. We can raise the black flag if they want war. Had mercy for the enemy, but don't know more. I have a message from America, but I don't know what I can say. They want to silence my voice, taking amendments away. Why California feel like communism out in LA? With 20,000 troops in DC, gave them nowhere to stay. With Donald Trump left, he left that shit perfect in place. But Biden killed thousands of jobs on his very first day. Yeah, that's crazy. And I ain't even come to preach no MAGA word, but China's got ships around our coast if you haven't heard. Now, I don't know if that's a problem for you, but I ain't trying to go out like that after all I've been through. Our Constitution died. I just went and bought me 
need a suit. See, if they come for the guns, Patriots probably gonna shoot. I shouldn't address this, but some men in some dresses can now piss in the ladies' room with your teenage with your daughter. Teenage but hey, daughter. equality, right? Tell it to the future victims all around the country. Life's about to get harder. We're making sun. America's in distress. With our future on the line, look around, it's a mess. We took a turn. Now everything you say is offensive, and we slow to losing our freedom. Ain't got no defense. We can raise the black flag if they want war. Had mercy for the enemy, but don't know more. We can raise the black flag if they want war. Had mercy for the enemy, but don't know more. Now they pushing vaccines on us. Kinda feel like population control. If I'm being honest, side effects. Cerebral palsy and death But yet they give it to us And expect us all to eject We the people Be the pawns The punching bags The beat up on The media conceals A bunch of truth That you should read upon People acting like they woke I say America's been stolen They just laugh like it's a joke Ain't gonna be nobody laughing in the end Because your loss is my loss And they just mastering they plan Aren't you excited? While hate is so invited Our states are not united Our races are divided you still need proof of the elite When the American president couldn't even make a tweet Or what them trading apps did for hedge funds on Wall Street And stole from millions of people And then GameStop and AMC And what we do Sit back and take it, we'll get the loot Long as they have that Dominion voting system We screwed, and that's the truth So patriots take a stand Cause don't nobody care about that SOS in the sand We're making concern America's in distress With our future on the line Look around, it's a mess, we took a turn Now everything you say is offensive And we slow to losing our freedom Ain't got no defense we can raise the black flag if they want war. Had mercy for the enemy, but don't know more. We can raise the black flag if they want war. Had mercy for the enemy, but don't know more. Hey there, Thrill Seeker, rocking out to the station. I hear you. You're probably even sipping on a drink right now. An average blah, blah drink in a can or bottle. One that doesn't quite hit the spot for you. I'll bet you want something different, don't you? Something more. Take your shot with Cold Cock Whiskey. The best whiskey anywhere. Why? Because it's different from other liquors. Cold Cock Whiskey is herbal whiskey. 100% all-natural herbs blended with aged American whiskey. No more morning after sugar hangovers from other liquors. With Cold Cock's blend of herbs, including green tea, hibiscus, ginger, eucalyptus, and more, you'll be in herbal heaven. Cold Cock Whiskey, available at spirit stores and distributors America-wide. Find one near you at coldcockwhiskey.com. Follow Cold Cock Whiskey on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Celebrate those special moments with friends. Raise your glass. Take your shot. You must be 21 or older to drink Cold Cock Whiskey. Please drink responsibly. Because there are some people out there who need practical advice. And yes, I'm talking about you. Wisdom beyond value from the desk of Mr. Holland. If a girl pulls a knife on you during a fight, just pull out some bread and mayo. Her womanly instincts will kick in and she'll make you a sandwich. Ooh, is that Mr. Holland? Yes, ma'am. Please don't touch. Speak up, because you can. Your mind is a powerful tool, and so is your freedom of speech. So use it. It's what separates you from being a number to being an individual. Thoughts, beliefs, opinions, it's what makes you, you. Stand proud and say it loud. Know your rights. Know your freedom to speak. This message is brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters, Education Foundation, and the Broadcast Education Association. 
So you go into your sporting goods or firearms store to get that gun and ammunition you've been wanting to buy, only to find out that the store doesn't have it. Worse yet, the shelves are bare. They're empty. Ugh. Well, that's why there's GunBroker.com. You want it? GunBroker.com's got it. Guns, gun parts, ammo, ammo storage, reloading equipment, binoculars, scopes, sights. Did I mention guns? Pistols, rifles, handguns, shotguns, machine guns, paintball guns, archery supplies, tools, jewelry, watches, even musical instruments and gear. Yes, GunBroker.com has those too. I'm telling you, they have it all. There are even auctions where you can bid on certain items. The folks at GunBroker.com know their stuff. They've been in business for over 20 years with over 6 million happy registered users. Why not become one of them? GunBroker.com. Go there. Check it out. Register today. It's 100% free. GunBroker.com. GunBroker.com. Hey, I'm Nick, and you're listening to Outlaw Radio, where we say what the fuckity fuck we want. No exceptions. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard Message from America by Burden. And as I said, it is time for Outlaw Radio Conservative Talk with the one and only, my fellow American, Jericho Green. Here we go. Outlaw Radio, conservative talk. I just want to tell you that America is the greatest place on earth. We will make America great again. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver. The government is the car. And we decide where it should go and by what route and how fast. Outlaw Radio Conservative Talk starts now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this edition of Outlaw Radio Conservative Talk. Once again, I want to welcome back Jericho Green to the show, my fellow American. How you doing? Beautiful. I'm glad to be back. So much shit <laughs> is going on. Oh, man. <laughs> How many dump trucks do you need for this shit? Or do we have enough in the world? <laughs> Our shit cups runneth over. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. First up, I want to start with something. Um, I recently had an argument with a libtard online, of uh, course, who, uh, you know, basically, I'm, I, they weren't, they're not even dubbed the idiot of the week because I have no identity on them. So I don't know if I'm, um, but they just don't seem like a troll. They seem very genuine in what they were saying. Now, this is the kind of stuff that I have heard you scoff at so much, Jericho. But it's being taken to another level of stupidity that's, I'm like, oh, what the fuck? Where did these idiots come from? So, basically, drowning in white guilt so badly that they know the repercussions of letting the government take over your life and your assets, the, the repercussions of communism. Yet this idiot is saying it's deserved. White people have been robbing the Earth's humanity for decades, for centuries, 
and now it's our turn to bend over and take it. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, first off, yeah, he, yeah, he says uh, he doesn't care what happens to him if a communist regime takes over the U.S. because we deserve it, and and he's willing to. You want to you want to commit suicide? That's fine with with me, but uh, I'm not going to hold your hand on the way down. <laughs> well, I can't wait to scoff at this too, uh, man. People like this don't understand this communist regime that they have wet dreams about, and this communist regime that they want to take over this company, com- this country, because they feel like. We've deserved it in some way. These fucking dummies are going to be the first ones in the guillotine. They don't understand. They would have more respect for someone like you and I who say fuck that than these dummies who lay down and take it. They will cut your heads off first. You think these people think that, you know, and this shit ain't going to happen. We ain't let nobody take us over. But if it were to happen, do they think that this, this communist leader is going to look kindly upon them because they think that we deserve it or because they turned in some of their fellow countrymen fuck no but people people suck man people suck and there are so many stupid ass people who believe this shit and there's in i don't even know this person but i guarantee you they never lived under no damn communism because anybody who has does not want to do that shit again nobody but it's dummies like this who pull the lever for the dummy we have now who's trying to push us down this very path, who have no problem with becoming communists until we're communists. And then who do you think they're going to turn to to save them? <laughs> Fucking idiots. Well, so I asked him a few questions just because I, wa- I wanted to see what, I want, what this person had to say. So, you know, it was uh, just a little over a year ago that uh, I had a relative pass away and they're leaving me a decent sum of money, and I don't even know how much because because uh, I haven't even been in to sign the paperwork or haven't been summoned to sign the paperwork yet. And, you know, this is what uh, E.T. Williams, I miss that man on YouTube, I'll tell, tell you that much, too. Um, oh, yeah, me you know, too. You know who I'm talking about. He, he does a podcast oh, yeah. now. <laughs> but, you know, he... he okay. Yeah, he he laid it down. The best is, uh, you know, you and in, you inherit some money, and liberals think that they are entitled to that money. I mean, he mm-hmm. he said it best. You know, it's and so I wanted to put this idiot to the test. So I said I I gave him an estimate. I am going to inherit probably about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And nice. Yes. Have I ever told you how good you look? <laughs> yeah, exactly. My new best friend, right? <laughs> Your new best friend. <laughs> but you know, and what you know, this is what E.T. Williams said is that you know they they put it in the paperwork when they passed on that uh, that money is yours to do as you wish. You don't have to give it to anybody. You you can buy what you want with it. It's yours to keep. Um. But uh, these liberals think that they are entitled to it, so a lot of them will first politely ask if they know, even know ha- have any manners to begin with. They will politely ask for something, and if you say no, then they will demand it. 
Then they will try to push, they'll get a lawyer, they'll get a police officer or make up some kind of story, you know, just to try to get get you to give up some of that money, you know. And so, mm-hmm. and, um, so I asked him, I said, what, what's going to happen with this money that I'm going to inherit? And he, or what, do, I didn't ask what's going to, I said, what do you think should happen? They said, well, mm-hmm. did your relatives pay their reparations? And I said, they didn't, they didn't have reparations to pay. And they said, yes, yes, they did. And that still needs to be paid. So, so it's only fair that you give up 80% of that inheritance. 80%. That sounds about 80. sounds like (laughs) $80,000. For what? Man, these people are sick. It's so easy to spend other people's money. Like that, those, whoever amassed that money did it. They worked hard for it and they can do with it what they will. They can give it to whoever they want. They can throw it in a bonfire. They can wipe their ass with it if they want to. You can't tell people what to do with their money. And you also can't tell people to atone for things that they weren't even alive for. Now, no matter what you believe, Maybe you were floating in a scrotum somewhere or you were a little star out in the cosmos, but you were not down here on earth performing these horrible deeds that people were doing to where they feel like you need to take your inheritance and then give it to who you're just supposed to sponsor a black family or a black person. Are you supposed to go to the hood and throw it out of the sunroof? Give it to who? That doesn't make any sense. And again, you can't tell people what to do with their money. If they want to do that, go amass your own 150000 or 100000 and then you can give it to whoever you want or take your money and give it to who you want. But you need to learn, you not you, but people like that need to learn to leave other people the fuck alone along with their finances. That's none of your damn business. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and I asked him, I, I asked him so... The sins of the father need need to be paid for by the son or the grandson or the great grandson. It said as if, and he went on to say, if the original person did not tone for their sins, then yes, somebody's got to pay. There, and I said, what a <laughs> statute of limitations! There, there should be no statute of limitations. But there is. Yeah. There is. You, and anything short of murder, that's seven years. So your hands, you're good. <laughs> A bunch of times over. That shit is so crazy. And then, okay, if they feel that way that you need to pay reparations, then why do they still have a home? Why do they still have personal belongings? Why didn't they give it all away? Now, if they're standing there telling you this, butt naked on the street corner with no worldly possessions, I might listen to what they have to say. But as long as they're laying their head down on a pillow at night in a home and they got clothes on their back and money in their account, they can shut the fuck up. You know, you remember uh, that that movie uh, made about Muhammad Ali with Will Smith that was almost 20 years ago. Damn, that was it was that long ago. But yeah. Yeah, I think it was like 2001 or something, wasn't it? Yeah, 2001 or 2002. It was a great movie. But there's something yeah. there's something I remember said about that movie. And if you want to bring Black Lives Matter into the mix, there's something from that movie that just fits so well. 
the, um, it was one of uh, Ollie's wives, uh, his like second or third wife said, no, Don King, he talks black, th uh, lives white, and thinks green. And that's exactly <laughs> what the, the head of BLM, don't tell me that's not what they're doing. Hell yeah, it's all bullshit. What's the first, I don't care if, I don't care what, how, where you fall on the color chart, whether you're higher on the color chart with the lighter shades or lower on the color chart, color chart with the darker shades. If you don't have any money and you grew up poor, what's the first thing you do when you get money? You change your fucking address. <laughs> Everybody does that. So you can claim to be Black Lives Matter. I'm in the hood. You talk all that shit you want to. As soon as you get enough commas in that bank account, peace. Fuck all you poor criminalistic motherfuckers. I'm out. I'm going behind tall fences, gates, security, manicured lawns. I'm gone. So they're all full of shit. They're all full of shit. If they're for real, then just, hey, bypass all that fortune and fame. Give it to those less fortunate and live like a pauper if they're for real, but they're not. They got homes, they got cars, they got money because that's what they want. And they're not going to let anybody else tell them what to do with their money. These people are so full of shit, man. It's disgusting. I mean, look back in the 80s, um, you know, to, uh, the former Soviet Union. And like I, I knew a kid who, who came over to the U.S. from the Soviet Union, and you don't know how damn happy he was to be out of there. And, yep. and he, and he talked about it too, about how, um, the rich over there in, in the Soviet, as few of them as there were, there were still a few rich people over there and how they lived like Kings because of, you know, they paid off whatever they needed to, um, you know, and whatever, whatever the government taxed them, they say was supposed to go to the poor, but not a damn penny went to the poor. Hell no. <laughs> of course not. Cause people, they talk all the shit they want in public, but when it comes down to it, just like if we had to cut a check to the government for our taxes, instead of them already being taken out of our paycheck, that would be totally different. Then we would look at the government and see, well, what are they spending all this shit, all this money on? Cause I got to write an awfully big check. So when you have to cut that check, that is totally different. That changes everything. It's, it's not as easy when you have to, man, that's a lot of money. Like, um, one of my dream cars is a Porsche. But when I think about it, I'm like, am I, do I really want to spend 150, $200,000 on one thing? Nah, but it's sure fun to say when I'm, talking with my buddies about, you know, what would you do if you hit the lottery? It sounds good, but when you got to sit down there and put ink to check, nah, you ain't doing that shit. These people are fucking lying. And you, especially being in California, I guarantee if you were to hit the Powerball or the Mega Jackpot lottery or anything like that, they'd be up your ass, you know. Uh, oh. I guarantee. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and just random people, too, and when you say no... There, you know, I mean, you got, you're, you're, you're the worst person in the world. I mean, forget what a racist is, is because today that today, that's the most horrible person you can find. Uh, you're, you're going to be the most God awful person on the planet. Worst Nadolf Hitler it's himself just for saying, no, I'm not going to give you any of my money. 
And you know what? I would say it with a smile on my face. You ain't getting shit. Because unless you're the one who took the cord out of your pocket to scratch that ticket, you ain't getting shit. And did you know that in California, if you do win the lottery, you have to, uh, if you want to stay anonymous, you got to pay like 25 grand or something for them to keep your name out of it. And I would gladly do so because no, that's, that's my money. That's my money. And I don't understand how people are talked into doing that, how people cave to that kind of guilt. This is mine. I'm like, if you didn't earn it, you ain't getting shit. Case closed. You know, and in, in South Africa too, one of the dumbest things uh, they're trying to push also is uh, if if a white person owns a house for, with about six bedrooms and yet only three people live in it, they're they're trying to say that they can house other other black people or, or people of different uh, of color, as they say, you know, to to live in that same house with them, and I. You know that kind of sounds that sounds nice on the surface, but come on, uh, that's that's their house. They don't have to. They don't have. They do what they want with it. It's not up to the government to decide what to do with their property. No, and I don't know a lot about the South African government, but I'm going to assume that they're like every other government, and there's a concerning amount of incompetence with them. Oh, big but time! Number one. It's, it's their people's house. They can do what they want. They can, if they have four bedrooms, they're only using two. They can use the other ones to shoot Bukaki films in or take a shit. It's up to them. And then what kind of person are you bringing into my home? Let's say someone's dumb enough to agree to that. Are you vetting this person? Are you doing a criminal background check? Am I letting some kind of pervert or monster into my home? They don't give a shit. No sane person would even float that idea to the general public. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? If you didn't earn it somehow or help somebody get it, it's not yours. And especially here in America, where all you need is hard work and dedication, and you can have it. There's no one stopping you. There's groups out there dedicated to making sure nobody stops you. There are groups out there dedicated that no one stands in your way of achieving your dream. They even have this... uh it's a document, I can't remember, the bill of something, and the U.S. constant, I don't know. But there's things in there, too, that tell you you are guaranteed the pursuit of happiness. That's why people come here by the millions. They risk their lives. They risk their businesses. They risk their family members' lives. They might send their, their kids on a raft to float here from Cuba. No one's doing that anywhere else. There ain't a country on this planet that has a problem with too many fucking Americans flooding their shores. Okay? It's the opposite. People want to come here because all you need is hard work. None of that other shit matters. You can be as black as night. And if you're an asset to a company and you bring them in money, guess what? You're now part of the company. Because it's about money. Just like Don King. It's about that green. Everything else it's bullshit. Yes. You know, one other thing, too, is uh, that I they're doing over in South Africa a lot of, I'm, I'm not talking about the people in office. I'm talking about their ass kissers, uh, just in, uh, average Joes who are ass kissers to the government. A lot of them quit practicing hygiene. So they can, so they can possibly get the sympathy or whatever, you know, and 
And I see it too. And, and and I'm not, I'm talking people of all races are doing this shit. You know, they quit taking mm-hmm. showers. They stop brushing their teeth. They'll, they'll go in the middle of a place with, and take off their shoes to make it, to make sure you can smell their nasty fucking feet. Cause they ain't changed their <laughs> socks in probably two fucking weeks. You know, just to try to get you to acknowledge them that they have no means of taking a fucking bath. You know, nothing, there's nothing I hate more than a fucking quizzling. You know, those movies, it reminds me of a, a Bruce Lee movie called The Chinese Connection. It took place during the Japanese occupation of China. And the head boss is this Japanese dude, and his little sidekick is this little fucking whiny little skinny little ew, he has this real like weasel like you know aura about him he's just a fucking little piece of shit and you just want to grab him by his neck and choke the shit out of him and i can't stand people like that who suck up and kiss ass and this shit's crazy but i mean part of it is human nature you know if you see something someone getting something for free or via or because of sympathy and if you don't have any integrity or morals, that's what you're going to do. You're going to stop showering. You're going to start, you know, smelling to get that attention so people feel sorry for you and give you free shit. And it's really sad. It's, it's sad that people do that, but it's sad that it's also so lucrative that you're almost forcing people like that to do it. It's sick both ways. You know, it, and it, I almost forgot about this too, Jericho, because I, I used to work in a casino in uh, Reno, Nevada. I did some security. This was back in 2007. And, uh, this bum walks into the hotel lobby and sits there. He picks up a magazine and he starts reading and he smells so fucking bad that basically you had, uh, if the hotel clerk was wanted to puke and the minute I walked through the door, cause I was went over there to ask him to leave. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I walked th- I walked through that glass door and I'm like, oh my god! So yeah, should knock it to your knees. <laughs> I I asked him if he if he would please leave. You are loitering, and he's he's like, well, I got nowhere to go and it's cold outside. And I said, that's I'm I'm sorry, but uh, this this is the policy. This is you know, if you're not across the street playing the slot machines or if you're not. A guest of the hotel, you are loitering, and that is not acceptable. Yep. And then he, he's like, well, tried to put that guilt trip. I'm poor. I got nowhere to go. I'm homeless. Blah, that, I wanted to say that ain't my fucking problem, and you fucking stink. <laughs> yeah, man, I've, I've dealt with uh, homeless people like that at my work to where you can smell them before you see them. And I understand that, you know, people have their issues and everything. But from what I've seen, I've worked downtown for 13 years. I've been doing a kind of an unofficial case study. And the overwhelming majority, 75% or more of these people are young, they're working age, and they want to be there. The city I live in spent $4 million building a structure for homeless people to live at and get their shit together. No one lives there because no one wants to. It's clean. It's brand new. It's probably nicer than some of the places that taxpayers live in, but they don't want to. And in America, we have running water. We have bathrooms, we have streams, we have lakes. If you clean yourself, 
people probably won't fuck with you. And nobody probably would have called security on that dude if he didn't smell like the bottom of a dumpster. Okay. <laughs> In America, we have access to things that people in other countries they dream about it at night once they finally fall asleep <laughs> we have that shit so there's no excuse for that i saw a dude a homeless dude right at the entrance he set up shop right there at the entrance people coming into a little strip mall and he asked somebody for some money and the dude said no he walked around and hammer fisted the dude's windshield and cracked it the nerve the fucking nerve of you to ask me for some of my money for free to give you, and you haven't done shit for it, I say no, and you crack my fucking windshield. And the dude just drove off all scared. Wow. Now, hey, I know homeless people that got their issues. Dude was probably intoxicated. But as a man, I'm not going to let you damage my property, and then I just find a parking spot and go on about my business. We'd have a fucking problem. You can't do that shit. You can't. If somebody says no, they just said no. You just got to move on. Thank you for your time. But the, the nerve of these people to do this shit, man. Yeah. And I hate when people say, I hate when people say, oh, we're all just a paycheck away from being homeless. Bullshit. Bullshit. If you're a paycheck away, away from being homeless, you fucked up. Bottom line, you fucked up. And people say, well, Jericho, that sounds so callous. You're so mean. People don't know my story. They don't know this. Everybody got struggles. Everybody's been hungry. Everybody's made bad financial decisions or bad decisions about relationships and the people they're in them with. We all do that shit. But if you're in America, you don't have an excuse because all you got to do is work hard and everything else will take care of itself. You know, but uh, working's out of the question. I mean, got job openings. Uh, I mean, crazy how many... How many places are hiring yet nobody wants to work and businesses have to, like Arby's and Burger King here usually normally close at 10 even during COVID, but now they because they're understaffed, they have to close at 8. And that's that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I know a guy who owns a business and he had to change his hours for that very same reason because there's nobody to work. And that must be because somebody's paying them not to work because those kind of jobs they're for teenagers. They're for teenagers and old people. They're for teenagers to start in the workforce, and they're for old people to subsidize their income, you know, something to do while they're retired. So yes. why there aren't armies of teenagers taking these jobs, I don't know. And I want to move on. Boy, we spent about 25 minutes talking about that. But I want to, I want to move <laughs> on. Um, so it was last week that uh, Joe Biden made his appearance uh, here in the great state of Idaho, and he gets off of Air Force <laughs> One only to find about 2,000 people saying, fuck you, Biden, or they were chanting it. Uh, very few supporters. But you know what amazed me more, Jericho? Is he went to Sacramento the very next day. I get online, and you're, you ain't going to find this on CNN, trust me. But if you search some videos, you'll see it. There was, in Sacramento, California, there was a long line. We're probably talking about two or three miles long of people chanting, we want Trump back. <laughs> it's beautiful, man. And when you see it in a disgusting leftist, pinko, commie shithole like California, 
you know it's getting bad. But also in Sacramento, now they're not near the coast. So when you get away from the coast, you're going to get more conservative people. You're going to get more hardworking people that don't want their money fucked with and don't want their children being taught poison. So when you're when you get away from the coast, even in California, that's, you know, our last hope. But I think I really believe the middle of the country and the southern part of the country are going to have to save the entire country because the coast, they're lost. They forget it. Just right off California, Oregon and Washington. Forget about it. New York. Forget about it. I don't know much about Delaware, Connecticut, all the other eastern east coast states. But I can tell you this. The West Coast is lost. Okay. Build a bridge, save us Californians that want to be saved, and then push the rest of this fucking West Coast out to float in the ocean. It is disgusting. It is lost. It's going to take the middle and the southern part of this country to save us all. Yes. Yes, of course, they're trying their hardest to turn Idaho blue. They want to, they're really trying to turn Texas blue, and uh, John B. Wells talking about some dirty tricks that are in the work there. Uh, but what, um, mm-hmm. You know, the... New York finally did something right, and uh, Cuomo the homo is out. But uh, yeah, well, now it's uh, Hacho. There's another Democrat named Hacho who's in there now. Yeah, and she's just as bad. She has some. She has a stupid mask uh, mask mandates. Now, but uh, they were so close to this uh, Newsom recall in California, and then here comes Biden. Uh. And you guys are keeping, I mean, I was really pulling for Larry Elder because, you know, of course, uh, the, okay, you know what uh, they have called him, right? Oh, the LA Times called him the black face of white supremacy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay, that makes no sense whatsoever. But then again, I'm not a liberal. I can't get my head up my ass like that. So, um but, uh, yeah, I mean, what do you think happened? It's, it's just ironic that, you know, this, it looked like uh, it was going to happen for Newsom. He was going to get his ass booted out. But, nope, here comes Biden, and he retains his, his seat. You know, California is going to California. You know, there was a part of me that wanted it, uh, wanted it to happen, of course. But part of me also knew it wouldn't. It's not just um, Kamala Harris her disgusting ass and Joe Biden's senile ass coming out here to save Newsom's ass. But there are a lot of fucking far gone idiots in California. There's people on Instagram. I follow them only to keep up on the crazy far left bullshit, but it's pretty sad. There's people, there's signs. There were signs on some houses in my neighborhood. No on the recall who in their right mind would want Gavin Newsom as the governor. The only reason is, because people vote along party lines. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how fucked up it is or expensive it is in California, people are going to stay. If it's a D next to their name, they must be good. If it's an R, it must be bad. And when we found out that Newsom kept office, I mean, it, it, it really sucked, man. It, it was a social political kick to the nuts. It really sucked because we were really close because – Larry Elder did not have to beat Newsom as far as percentage of votes. We just had to get enough people to vote yes to get Newsom out of there. And Elder only needed about 19 or 20 percent. So it was very real, a very real possibility that we could have had Larry Elder in there. And I've been following him for years. I've read up about him. I've listened to him. Uh, He makes sense. 
parents should have a choice of where they want to send their kids. You should have a choice of whether or not you want to put a fucking piece of cloth over your face, let people have guns, don't overtax them. You know, the kind of shit we can all agree with. But to be so close and to have Gavin Newsom be so fucking terrible and people still left him in there, <laughs> man, fuck California. Man, it's just, it's fucking disheartening. It sucks. We had it. Blew it. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, and I, I was looking at, uh, by the way, I was looking at the, at the map, too, of, uh, you know, before the election was stolen. You know, Trump was actually uh, winning California before uh, Italy and China got got connected to the uh, the uh, Dom- Dominion machines. And, you know, it didn't matter who you voted for. You voted for Biden, it went for Biden. You went voted for Trump, it went for Biden. You voted Libertarian, it went for Biden. They, they had that rigged. Because and oh. yeah, that um, yeah that that fucking that really sucked, man. Because even Californians know what was good for this country, and to have it just to have it stolen like that, man. I w- I was in a pro-Trump uh, rally. We went probably twenty miles, man. We everybody it was a parade. So all these people got in their vehicles, their trucks, whatever. Trump flags, American flags, Blue Lives Matter, all that shit. The thin blue line, thin red line, all that. That it must have been a ten mile long line of vehicles, and at every on ramp there were more people joining it. In California, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe the amount of people that turned out in our little slice of California. And then to have that stolen, to get this fucking idiot. And if Biden is the most popular president in US history, like they tell us. 80 million votes, like they tell us. Then how in the hell, less than a year into his presidency, you have people chanting, fuck Joe Biden in California, fuck Joe Biden at sporting events. You got celebrities coming out against his ass, people coming out against his fucking poke for the sweet and sour sniffles. How does the residue of that kind of popularity go away so quickly if that's the case? (laughs) Because it, it it never existed in the first place, but uh, you know CNN is just so very convincing. <laughs> but it takes people to be convinced by this shit. Who is convinced by this bullshit? They're calling this man a racist, but I can show you twenty eight pictures of him shaking hands with black rappers. And so, which one is, am I going to believe the words? of that greasy lip bitch, Don Lemon? Or am I going to believe 28 fucking pictures of Donald Trump doing the two-hand handshake with MC so-and-so? Fill in fucking black artist name here. I saw a picture with Donald Trump shaking hands with Shaba Ranks. For those of you who don't know, this was a reggae artist from the early mid-90s. It gets no blacker than Shaba Ranks. He is the blackest person on earth. I remember Shabba Ranks. Trump, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Trump had a picture with him. It was a picture with him shaking hands with, with Jesse Jackson turning around looking at Al Sharpton. Yep. So what the fuck? Oh, there's a picture of, uh, there. yeah, there's uh, Donald Trump, Jesse Jackson there, and, and then there's uh, Al Sharpton in the middle with this shit-eating grin on his face. And then uh, another one I saw of him with Maxine Waters. Oh no, that was uh, that was James Brown. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> but <laughs> well, she's the she does his stunt doubles on the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one more thing. <laughs> we're, we're running out of time. One thing I want to run by is um, I didn't mention this last time, but it, definitely for us gun owners, we have a victory. David Chipman will not be head of the ATF. He he belongs in a prison cell for what he did almost thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. To those uh, to those men, women, and children in Waco, Texas, if you ask me. Yeah, Dave Koresh. Yep. Yep. I mean, I David Koresh. I mean, I will admit the guy was the guy was a looney tune. You know, he was crazy. Uh, you know, but he was and set and set in his own religious ways. But uh, you know, we have the, that's part of the First Amendment is uh, freedom of religion, mm-hmm. and, and the ATF had no business going into that compound and and murdering those people. So I remember seeing that. Uh, I think it was at ninety three. Yeah. I remember seeing those images. Of course, I was like thirteen years old. I didn't understand the gravity of it all, but those are some horrible images, man. And that was a very sad time in history. Yeah, and David Chipman was a part of that, so it's a good thing he's not head of that. But uh, the, what are the laws now? From what I understand, they they want to tax you every year on each firearm you have. You have to pay insurance. Is that, what are they trying to push now? You know, uh, I heard something about that, and it's also something about you have to register to buy ammunition and all this shit. I just don't, I don't, I'm, I don't know if they're like mildly retarded or they don't care. But every time you squeeze us on gun rights, that makes gun sales go through the roof. Every time you try to add another layer, because they can't do it like you know, say it Monday and it's in effect Tuesday. There takes there's some time in between them making the law, the rule, and then implementing it. So in that window, you're just having more guns being sold than we've ever seen before. You're just making more ammo being sold than we've ever seen before. So by the time your stupid-ass rule comes into, into action, we've already bought all the guns and the ammo under the old shit. What is wrong with these people? You're not going to come up with some shit that makes people go, ah, I don't want to buy any more guns. It's like cigarettes. You can charge as much as you want. You can put the pictures of people's fucked up faces and lungs on the pack if you want to. That ain't going to stop shit. People are going to do what they want to do. So get out of the way and let us do it. Well, uh, the next thing I'm looking to invest in is a reloader and then some powder and some wood. (laughs) They're just going to make powder and reloader sales go through the fucking roof. Good job, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the, this is fucking retarded uh, how it's running. It's, it, I got no words. I mean, especially that guy. I mean, I just couldn't wait to tell you about that guy I spoke with. How we deserve to get fucked in the ass with no lube because of what Fuck we did that. in history. It's uh, it's ancient fucking history. It's done and over with. Let's move on. And everybody did it. Everybody did it. Every fucking continent every country on this planet every time in history took slaves let me ask you this would you rather be a slave in america in the 1700s or you want to be a slave in egypt in like 2 a.d i seem to think the people in egypt might have had it a little bit rougher because aside from what these fuckers tell us most slaves in america were more like indentured servants and they didn't just pick cotton and sugar and fucking tobacco they were blacksmiths they were uh, nurses, they worked in the shipyards, they built shit, they were architects, they did a lot of things. But if you tell people about the the 
powerful parts of their history and the self-reliant times in their history, they're not going to believe this other shit. They want you to think that all black people were all whipped and separated and raped. And that did happen, but that was a small portion of it. A lot of black people, slaves, had jobs. They would go home to their families at night. There was a, uh, an expiration date on their servitude. We're not just a bunch of one-footed Kunta Kintes who just can't get it right. Yes. You know, I want to point one other thing before we end this segment, too, is uh, that right now there, there's another man out in New York. I don't need to mention his name again. He's got a beef against me, but um, bef- uh, we got along for a short period of time, and he agreed with me that reparations for slavery is ridiculous. However, mm-hmm. I had no idea how anti-Semitic he was, and and he's... <laughs> And uh, he's basically holding the Jewish community of today accountable for the crucifixion of Jesus. And I'm like, well, well aren't you a hypocrite? Wow. Uh, I'm a, slavery was 200 years ago. The crucifixion of Jesus was 2,000 years ago. And you want, you want to carry on with that? I mean, and not only that, but when, yeah, Je- I wanna- when Jesus died upon that cross... He took the accountability off of those Jews. So, yep. <laughs> so you're going to go against Jesus's word? Like, come on, how far back is this shit going to go? Are we going to go all the way back to fucking caveman times? <laughs> Look, in, at the end of slavery, that's when freed slaves should have gotten their 40 acres and a mule. And the government at the time, they fucked up. But so much time has passed. There's been so much people fucking all these different people and how are you going to figure it out? Who's going to pay for it? How much is it going to be? And how the fact that you're here in America and you're free to do what you want. And you know, and a check from the government is not the only form of reparations. That's another thing. It's not just a check. It's affirmative action. That was a form of reparations. That was a form of evening out the scales. The reparations have already happened. They just, they just want to check. But really, reparations have already happened, and you're in America. Go get that shit yourself. Fuck the government. But you know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know how it goes. Try to be done with the left, but they just won't let us. <laughs> they won't let me, man. It's like, uh, it's like uh, what is it? Um, Godfather. Every time I try to get out, pull me back in. <laughs> yes. All right, we're going to hit the music set coming up here, Jericho. But uh, before we uh, get to that, uh, go ahead and plug your uh, YouTube because people need to be entertained. Oh, man, you got to laugh to keep from fucking crying. Um, Of course, YouTube, Jericho Green on Instagram at JG Talk. I uh, put a lot of, you know, articles I come across or little things that come to my mind. I'll record a quick little video there, so check that out. And my website, JerichoGreen.net. You get um, the videos first. I upload them there before YouTube, three ninety nine a month, cheaper than a gallon of gas. Check that shit out. Thank you for having me, man. It's always a fucking pleasure when I come to the Classic Metal Show. <laughs> Actually, this is Outlaw Radio, but I, I have checked out their show. <laughs> not your My fault. Bad. Not not no. your fault. So that's okay. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, we'll, we'll edit that shit out. <laughs> but no um, I do appreciate it, man. It's it's always a fucking good time, man. And uh. Not only Classic Metal Show, but Outlaw Radio, man. You guys have been fucking rocking with me since, you know, since I was a, a little tiny fish in this big pool. So 
I really appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Uh, Jericho, it's always fun talking to you, and uh, we'll reconvene somewhere in the near future. Yes, we will, because there's always some bullshit going on. Yep, endless supply there, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, take care. <laughs> Thanks, man. Later. And there you have the interview with Jericho Green. Time to go to the first music set. Coming up, I have American Evil, going to be followed by Ellie Mae Millenkamp. She'll be followed by Carolyn Rodriguez. We got Bad Blood and Live Strange. Be right back after this. This is the kind of thing that just tickles my balls. You're listening to Outlaw Radio, and if you don't agree with our opinions, then fuck your mother. Hey, do you kiss your girlfriend with that mouth? Some more men ought to be strapped to a gurney and castrated with fishing knives. 
white guys who shave their heads completely bald. You know? They're so ashamed they lost 11 hairs, they're gonna try to turn it into some kind of a masculine statement. I say, hey, you goofy-looking, baldy-headed fuck. Looks good on black guys. On you, it's ugly, repulsive, and disgusting. You wanna be bald? Do what I did. Wait a while. Meantime, there's no excuse for running around looking like a freshly circumcised dick.
got bands, I got very few real friends. Tengo cosas en la mente, no puedo decir a gente. I got bills piling up, court appeals, lawyer up. Fees on fees on my knees, praying Dios ayuda, please. No entienden lo que pasa cada día en mi casa. If you only knew the half, I pay the price and do the math. Mi amor en la pinta, el dolor no se quita, es difícil entender. They own a piece, but none of them care. Don't need your prayer, I got plenty enemigos, I got plenty. Putas tan celosas, worry about your bolsas. Wishing me the very worst, catfishing me on every verse. Tengo things, tú no quieres, feel my pain, tú no puedes. Hay muchas cosas que tengo yo. If you ain't talking money, no comprendo, no. I make 20 racks and I let tengo Para pagar a las problemas que yo tengo, tengo Tengo, es mucho lo que tengo yo Tú no sabes dónde vengo yo Si no es feria no comprendo yo Porque tengo, es mucho lo que tengo yo Tú no sabes dónde vengo yo Si no es feria no comprendo yo es muy bueno lo que vendo yo 100% buena slang de flow Es puro fuego lo que vende Hay muchas cosas que tengo yo If you ain't talking money no comprendo no I make 20 racks and I le tengo Para pagar a las problemas que yo tengo I'm a G like the Coyote, free my nigga out the bote. Uh, it's dope house, respected from Laredo to Edmonte. Yeah. I was moving packs back when I was just a little kid. No más para carar, cosas que yo merece. Tengo problemas, pero dinero de menos. Callejero y vengo de los calles infierno. Dog food, provecho. Cuando mi pueblo está seco, might catch me in Odessa with the Rocky and Echo. They tryna stop me, just let go. I stack these chips up like Legos. Get my bread in this game, bro, and holla. Hasta la luego On this mic I got fuego Ain't talking money or pesos Oh he tripping Take these bands Pay off these problems Que tengo uh. oh, 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 oh. Tú no sabes lo que tengo yo Puro fuego lo que vendo yo
no other feeling than strapping up or grabbing those kettlebells, grappling on the mat, or doing some shadow boxing, getting knocked down, getting back up, throwing strikes, and then doing it all over again. So when you hear someone scream, gear up, you better get ready, because it's just you, your Hunter Athletic Gear, and the voice telling you to train harder. No matter how much experience you have, Hunter Athletic Gear stands with you all the way. Their products are engineered for utmost comfort, protection, and speed battle after battle hunter athletic gear is the brand celebrating your victory hunter athletic gear has a range of great training and fight gear for men and ladies including compression pants fight shorts hoodies vests caps and bikinis they can create custom branded ranges for your gym or business visit their website at huntermma.co.za gear up and let's train what news and information are your media dollars buying when the narrative is prescribed by the advertisers? Scripted lies, media brainwashing, and thought control. Take back your voice. Take back our media. But most of all, take back our First Amendment. Subscribe to Caravan to Midnight today for hard-hitting commentary free from political correctness and media bias as I and some of the most intelligent and interesting people on Earth delve deep into what really lies beyond the headlines. Three to four hour uninterrupted interrupted and uncensored information join our ctm family today join the movement join the fight for freedom and independence caravan to midnight is media for the people by the people independent of commercial obligations or influence for less than a cup of coffee per month you can make a difference let the people fund the next news network help us grow help us create a platform where we place freedom of speech and thought first join the family at caravan to midnight.com 
a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment of the United States of America's Constitution. This Second Amendment, the right of law-abiding Americans to privately own and possess firearms, is under attack like no other time in America's history. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have pledged to take away your Second Amendment rights through gun bans, gun confiscations, and government regulations. Even a gun tax. Do not take this lying down. The time to take action and fight to protect your Second Amendment rights is now. Join the Second Amendment Foundation, the oldest and largest nonprofit foundation focused on protecting your Second Amendment rights. For more information, to join or to donate, visit saf.org. And now a message for the men. Listen up, guys. Fact. As we men age, our IGF-1 growth factor levels decrease, which can lead to gradual deterioration of energy, muscle growth, and immune function. From Neutronics Labs comes a line of health supplements that make men men again. Deer Antler Velvet. Listen. IGF-1 Plus Deer Antler Velvet contains the most concentrated source of widely diversified nutrition found in the plant or animal kingdom. Choose from Neutronics Labs liposome spray product. From the Ultra 10,000 Nanograms Package to the Platinum 300,000 Nanograms Package. There are also specially formulated supplements for joint pain relief, more energy, better stamina, better natural sleep, stress relief, and weight loss. For more information about these amazing products, visit keys2life.shop. That's K-E-Y-S, the number two, life.shop. IGF-1 Plus Deer Antler Velvet Supplements from Neutronics Labs. Making men, men again. Yo, baby, you have your asshole licked by a fat man in an overcoat? Fuck the shit. Fuck the fucking shit. Fuck shit. You're listening to Outlaw Radio. Now buy a sewing machine, take it home, and cram it up your ass. Fuck shit. The shit is fuck shit. Shit fuck. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outlaw Radio, brought to you by Cold Cock Whiskey. Raise your glass, take your shot. You must be 21 years of age or older to drink. Hunter Athletic, Gear Up, Let's Train, and Neutronics IGF-1, Making Men Men Again. The song you just heard, you just heard Liv Strange with her cover of The Doors, People Are Strange. Before that, Bad Blood with Drug That I Need. Before that, Carolyn Rodriguez with Tango. Before that, Ellie Mae Mellencamp with Fight For Me. And starting off the whole set, American Evil with As Real As It Gets. All right, in just a little bit, you will hear the classic interview with Tony Kryptonite Lopez. Remember, you heard his story last week about uh, the Bare Knuckle Boxing promotion, but uh, you'll hear the first interview that I conducted with him about uh, exactly 10 years ago. Before I get to that, it is time to reveal... The Outlaw Radio, Idiot of the Week. And ladies and gentlemen, the Outlaw Radio Idiot of the Week this week is Alana McLaughlin. Now, like I said, when it comes to transgender people, I really don't have a problem with them. They have, they, you feel like you're a woman trapped in a man's body. 
uh, that, you know, you're born a man, but feel like deep down inside you're a woman, you, you go and get the surgery, that's fine. You, you know, that, that is a human right, and I am not going to protest that. What I am not going to tolerate is you have these transgender women that regardless of the surgery, they think they can go into a woman's bathroom or compete in women's sports. So, you know, Fallon Fox long retired, of course, but now here comes Alana McLaughlin. Used to be a uh, special forces. I, I don't know which branch of the military, but thank you for your service there. That I will respect and will not take away from her. But uh, competing against women in the women's division of MMA, it, it is not right. It is not fair. It is not fair at all. I mean, muscle mass may go down, testosterone may go down, but bone density is still stronger. And uh, just being an overall superior athlete, that doesn't go away. So if we're going to allow this bullshit, I say Alana McLaughlin's uh, next opponent, should they consent, should be allowed to pop some steroids because after all, he or she is competing with an unfair advantage, so let's let's level out the playing field because this is bullshit. I mean, if transgenders want to have their own division, I'm all for that too. But until then, you know, you get the surgery, you make that choice. There are sacrifices that you make. And, uh, you know, this is simply not fair at all. And it's a slap in the face to those who fought for women's rights. It is a big slap in the face. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you can call me a transphobe if you want. I don't give two flying fucks. What's fair is fair. All right. So this bullshit has got to come to an end. All right, enough on that. Let's go to... AOW Classics, of course, with Tony Kryptonite Lopez. Here we go. Digging deep into the history of AOW Productions, this is an Outlaw Radio AOW Classic. Joining me this week, I have Tony Kryptonite Lopez out of Southern California. How are you doing, Tony? Good. How's it going? Doing great. Anyway, uh, first question I have is a uh, question I have for everybody who's been on the show here is, uh, what were your early inspirations? What made you want to get involved in the fighting arts and MMA to begin with? You know, it was just uh, a way to test myself. Uh, all the martial arts that I had done, you know, I, I wanted to see, hey, does this stuff really work? You know, am I as good as I think I am? And, uh, you know, mixed martial arts was the way to go. Okay. And um, your very first opponent, somebody I'm kind of familiar with, and uh, I know you stand at least about uh, six foot five, correct? Yeah. Well, uh, you fought Tony Galindo, who's some—he's somebody I've met, and uh, I know—I know for a fact that I'm actually taller than him. If I was to fight him, I'd have the reach advantage over him. So, uh, what does that say about you? Because I know he's short and stocky, and I don't know. How much reach do you think you had over him? 
close to a foot. <laughs> I don't know. It was a lot. So yeah, yeah. He came up to my chest. So. Well, go ahead and talk about that fight for our listeners. Um, well, my first fight, you know, as any fighter would know, I mean, his nerves were kicking up, everything, you know, I just, I was uh, really nervous for the fight, you know, I didn't look at my opponent as like, I was scared of him or nervous for him, but I just, myself, you know, was I going to be able to perform, so we get out in the ring, and, uh, you know, I'm still nervous, the bell, you know, sounds so we can start, and, you know, I'm still like, okay, what do I do out here, what do I do, you know, all my training, everything I knew, really didn't apply. And uh, so, you know, we start going at it and, uh, you know, we get in the clinch, we go to the ground and I end up on top and all I'm doing is looking at my corner like, what do I do now? They tell me, you know, drop a few elbows. I do that. After I do that, I look at them like, what now? Keep doing that or, you know, move to side control. You know, every, every, I mean, I had to be told step by step what to do. And so, you know, in the end, you know, I uh, caught him with a couple knees to the head and uh, knocked him out. Now, had you seen any of his previous fights? I mean, obviously, like I said, you may have had the reach on him, but that's not to take away from Tony's power. Tony, Tony's a good puncher. Were you aware of that or had seen any of his previous fights? Um, I hadn't seen any of his previous fights, but I was told you know, that he had, to, he had a good hand. Hands, I should say, good hands. And, uh, <clears throat> but he never, he never threw one punch while we were standing. You know, he just... Okay. Uh, he faked, uh, he faked and then just went for a takedown. That's how we ended up on the ground. Now, your next fight uh, was with the WEC uh, before Zufa bought that organization when they were holding all the events in Lemoore, California. I know I was I was at one of those events uh, before Zufa bought uh, that organization. That was against Justin Levins, and unfortunately it uh, things didn't fall in your favor. What, what happened that night? You know what? <clears throat> um, it was, uh, I think it was, it was more nerves. You know, my wife was there. You know, she told me, like, hey, there's a whole bunch of UFC guys here. You know, do good. And maybe, you know, this this could be our, our, our uh, a big step into the, you know, the UFC. And uh, in the back of my head, I think that was uh, just eating at me. So when I went out there to fight, you know, I was like a deer in the headlights. You know, I mean, I, I threw maybe a I mean, maybe I'd see a handful of punches, maybe one kick, and uh, that was it. You know, we went to the ground, and uh, he took my back, and uh, before I even knew it, I was tapping. So, I, like I said, I just uh, I panicked, and uh, it was over in the first round, maybe like the first three minutes or so. And, I mean, I was, I was upset at myself because when I watched the tape, I was like, what was I thinking? You know, I mean... Same thing, you know, I had height, reach, everything on them. And uh, I just, I didn't use none of it. Okay. Of course, uh, I had not heard of you un- until uh, I saw you fight in Reno uh, against uh, Frank Appa. But, uh, yeah, and, and I, I remember you fought that big monster. So we'll get to that fight in a minute. But uh, your, your next fight... Uh, was against uh, another UFC veteran in uh, Kyle Kingsbury, and you did very well against him. In fact, you you basically uh, destroyed him. Uh, go, let's go ahead and tell our listeners about that fight. Well, that was my third fight, and uh, 
after my, my Justin Leonard's fight, you know, for financial reasons, I had to take some time off. It was all, almost two years. And uh, when I came back, you know, I came back hungry. I came back, you know, knowing what it was to step in the cage. So, you know, nerves were gone. You know, I wasn't like, oh, what am I going to do? I knew exactly what I was going to do, you know, what I was here for. And uh, just right before uh, he stepped into the cage, I thought he flipped me off. So that just, you know, enraged me even more. So when he got in there, I was, I was ready to put a hurting on him. And that was my whole goal, just hurt him. You know, no matter what, if he comes at me, I'm coming at him too. If he's backing up, I'm, I'm chasing him. I'm just going to, you know, keep pounding away until the fight's over. And that's pretty much how it went. And, you know, the ref jumped in and stopped the fight. Okay, and then uh, I guess, like I had already mentioned uh, a little bit, you fought at both uh, heavyweight and light heavyweight. Uh, and, of course, Tony Galindo being your first fight, I know he normally fights at, I think, at 185. And your your next fight uh, after Kyle Kingsbury was against the Australian Tony Bonello and he normally fights at uh, one one eighty five, but uh, what weight was that fight at? You know, it was a catch weight of uh, two ten. Uh huh. So um, we just, uh, you know, I, they just told me, hey, you want to fight this guy? I said, yeah, and they, they asked the weight. They said it would be two ten. So that's fine. And uh, you know, we went into it, and I said it was it was a good fight. Went back and forth. You know, unfortunately, you know, it went to decision, and he he received the decision. And uh, but not to say the crowd was unhappy with that. You know, everybody booed. You know, right right after the fight, you know, his corner of Babalu was yelling at him. You know, Tony Stephen lost the fight. My corner was like, yeah, you know, we were all happy because you know we thought we won. But when they came time to announce, you know, they picked him. So it was, uh, it was a bit upsetting. Now, uh, before I get into the fight I just mentioned, uh, I understand uh, you were training uh, with um, Colin Oyama and, uh, and Rampage in Big Bear. Uh, what was that experience like, uh, tra- training uh, with with those people in that camp? You know what, it was, it was great. I mean, you know, I, I got to train with someone that had already been established and known and, uh, you know, been around. And uh, it just, like, it, it gave me a different look, you know, seeing these guys, you know, I'm like, these guys are just regular guys, you know, there's nothing really special. You know, for some reason, I thought, you know, hey, in the UFC, you know, strike force up there in the big top, you know, it must it must be a different caliber of guys. And, uh, you know, it's it's the same caliber of guys, the only difference is, uh, you know, yeah, their intensity is a little bit more because it has to be, you know, you're going up against more experienced, more tougher fighters, but, I mean, just regular people doing the, the same thing that I'm doing. So, I mean, it was good for me to for, to level my head off and not be, like, thinking, like, oh, man, when I get there, you know, how tough are they going to be? So, it helped out a lot. Exactly, and uh, I know, uh, yeah, Southern California, most of Southern California is uh, pretty much sea level, and I think uh, Big Bear is the highest altitude. How high is it up there? Um, it's about six and a half to seven thousand feet. Yeah, so so you yeah. got that good altitude training then. So. Yeah, I mean, and and uh, I take it uh, that actually helped you uh, in the fight against Frank Appa because I I know Reno is definitely up there in altitude and 
and I've I've seen a few people uh, that have gone to Reno. They they weren't aware of the altitude or anything. I've seen them gas out pretty much. Uh, so do you, do you think that gave you a little bit of edge already going into a place that has high altitude, um, already training in someplace similar? Um, I, you know, I, I believe yeah, it can be it can be level, you know, and it didn't affect me at all because, you know, for one, you know, I try I always try and keep my cardio up, uh-huh. you know, whether whether it's training up in high altitude or just down at basic sea level. So I mean, no matter what, I'm always I'm always trying to get that you know the runtime in so my cardio is up, and uh, you know of course it helps. You know, going yeah. into that apple fight, you know, I wasn't winded at all. I felt great. You know, it didn't affect me at all. The altitude change. Yeah. Now, uh, Frank Appa was a monster of a man. In fact, uh, I, I knew you were taller than him. But being at that fight live, I mean, he definitely looked like uh, he was a bigger, stronger man. Uh, pretty kind of shadowed you in a, a little bit uh, from from my view. Um, but a big man. Were, were you at all nervous going into that fight, taking on somebody that size? No, I don't know. I mean, I knew I had seen his prior fight, and uh, looking at him, I'm all, okay. He's just he's big and strong. You know, he he's got a little bit of skills, but uh, you know, my skill level is above his. So I was like, as long as, and, you know, same thing with my corner. They told me as long as you don't let him just grab you and manhandle you, you know, you should be fine. Just keep him at bay and uh, keep the distance, and I have no problems with this. And. Uh of course, uh, me being there, the crowd started to boo. I, I mean, uh, I couldn't have missed it. I, it was all around me, and uh, that's when you seemed to pick things up. Uh, well, now, when the, the crowd started to boo, uh, was, was that like your uh, on switch? Or? Well, you could say that. My wife, you know, working my corner, told me, you know, you know, right off the bat, but when the crowd started booing, she's like, hey, the boy, you better start doing something. And I knew right then and there, hey, you know what, we gotta got to change our game plan here because, you know, if the crowd is blowing, that means I'm not putting on a good fight and exciting and they ain't going to want to see me back here again. So right after that, you know, I just threw a head kick, boom, and that was it. It was over. Yeah. But it was down and... It, was ex- it got exciting up up at that point for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember too. You gave a, you gave an apology to the crowd for giving them something to boo about. But uh, no, your your performance was fantastic. And uh, of course, that fight was the beginning of a long winning streak. I think sixteen fights, correct? Yeah, sixteen. Uh, and within those sixteen fights, you fought uh, twice. You fought the executioner Joey Beltran. Um, Go ahead and uh, tell our listeners uh, about that by going into it. Well, uh, the first time I uh, met up with this Joe, you know, had no clue of who he was or anything like that. And, uh, you know, they told me, was, hey, this guy, you know, wants to, you know, he likes to stand and bang. So, hey, that's what I look for. So I was happy. We go into the fight, you know, he throws a few punches. I threw a few jabs, a few kicks. And the next thing I know, he's, he, you know, rushing in to, to pin him up against the cage and, you know, try some dirty boxing and take me down. I, I was like, what the hell is he doing? You know, he's supposed to be a stand-up and bang kind of guy. You know, I'm like, God, I, it just it got on my nerves. So, you know, the whole time, you know, first round, he's just trying to toss me on the ground, toss me on the ground. I finally, uh, you know, I give him my back while we're standing so I could uh, work on a Kimura. 
I, I slip it in and uh, just from the standing position, twist it all the way behind his head, uh, past his head, and uh, dislocate his shoulder and uh, tore the ligaments in his elbow. And that was the end of the fight right there. Ouch. So basically, you're saying that uh, when you turned your back, that was a way to bait him in to, to get the submission? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, you can't get more, you know, facing him that easy. So, you know, you turn your back, and his hands were still wrapped around my waist. It just, I mean, it was right there. And, of course, uh, your next fight after that uh, was for the uh, for the heavyweight title uh, against uh, Wes Combs. And you beat him also by uh, submission, but uh, actually competing for a belt and winning that belt. Uh were there was there added uh, nerves going into going into that fight? You know what? There was a little bit of nerves, but not not really for the fight or the belt. And then, of course, uh, the next fight uh, against uh, Fernando Gonzalez was again for the uh, light heavyweight title, and you won that one too. And after uh, winning that fight, uh, I got to ask, how did it feel knowing now that you were holding? two belts uh, in two different weight classes simultaneously. You know, at the time I won them both, you know, I didn't, uh-huh. I didn't, feel, I didn't feel anything. You know, I was like, you know, I, I got two belts, and this is my job. That's what I was supposed to do, get belts and, you know, win fights. But uh, it wasn't until maybe about a month or two later that uh, <clears throat> it kicked in, and I was like, whoa, yeah, I, just, I, I had to take a seat. You know, I was like, dang, you know what? I got two belts. You know, I've I've done a lot. You know, I've been winning. You know, I haven't lost, and I'm always feel it felt good. And all of a sudden, I was like, man, yeah, this, this is the feeling I like. You know, this is this is great. So I mean, it was, it was a great feeling once it kicked in, and I realized what I had accomplished. Now, um, during that time, uh, you were king of the cage, uh, heavyweight and light heavyweight champion. You fought for M1 Challenge. Uh, that, that fight against uh, uh, can't, I can't, can't pronounce this. It looks like a, a Russian's name, uh, Victor Nemkov. Is that how it's pronounced? <laughs> no, I, I, you're good as good as mine on that last name too. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah that was, uh, now, um, was that the first time you had ever uh, traveled overseas to go fight? Yeah. Uh, yes, it was. Now, and uh, you're traveling uh, pretty much the other side of the world. Uh, did you, a lot of fighters uh, have problems with jet lag going going into fights like that. Uh, were you in Korea uh, with enough time prior to the fight to get rested up and adjusted to the time change and all that? Or uh? No, I, I mean, I got there after uh, two days before the fight. But, uh, but jet lag, you know, the time change was, was no problem because, uh, I, you know, I'm a night owl. So, I mean, I my... my uh, time schedule was the same as it is on the other side of the world. You know, I'm going to bed here at like 3, 4 in the morning, which over there is probably like 8 in the morning. So, I mean, our times, you know, the time, everything was just the same. So when I got there, you know, I was wide awake, no problems. Night came, went to bed, no problems. So there was no jet lag and uh, time change. That's what was bothering me. Yeah. Now, um... Not too long after that, you had a rematch with uh, Joey Beltran, and uh, that fight actually um, went the went the full five round decision. Let's go ahead and tell our listeners about uh, the rematch with Joey. The rematch, uh, you know, Joey actually had a different opponent, and uh, two weeks prior to that, 
fight, uh, my opponent got hurt. Joey stepped up. And uh, it kind of irritated me, though, because, uh, you know, I had been talking to Joey, and you know, he was telling about, you know, he wanted a rematch. And I told him, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll set it up so it can be a great fight. You know, we'll know what it is, and uh, we'll go ahead, you know, balls out. He jumped the gun on that fight, so, you know, I got really irritated. And I'm like, I wasn't looking to fight him right then and there. So going into the fight, you know, I, I didn't have the motivation to fight him. So, you know, I just, I did everything I could just uh, to win the fight and maintain but, uh, you know, that's why I went the distance. Otherwise, I mean, if, if it would have been the way I wanted it, which nothing ever is, I should know that by now. But, uh, you know, it would have been a great, exciting fight, just like the first one. And uh, your next two fights were against uh, Tyler East. Um, how, how did it come to be that, uh, I see, you won the first fight by s- split decision, and, and then... Uh, the next fight was just about a couple months later, and uh, how how did it come to be that uh, he got an immediate rematch? Well, um, my by that by the time I fought Tyler Reese, my performance, uh, you know, had started going down a little bit. I started getting unmotivated, and uh, I was like, you know, I need I needed a change or something. So that first time I fought him, same thing, and he was a last minute substitution. And uh, we went in there, and uh, you know, just he just started throwing me around, and I was like, "Hey, let's go with it." You know, I, I went with all him, and he threw me, I'd say, a good fifteen to twenty times in the first round. And you know, most of that, after the first one, I let him because I was like, "Hey, he's gonna tie himself out," and he did. And uh, you know, I said once again, I did everything I had to do that to win the match, going the distance. And uh, the immediate rematch came because. You know, there was a little bit of controversy whether he should have won that fight and me being the fighter I am. I said, okay, you know what? I have no problems fighting again to prove that, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't win. And, uh, you know, the second fight around, you know, I was letting everybody know, hey, this fight, when I go to the distance, it won't go out of the second round, you know, whether I win or he wins, but I'm going to make sure it ends before the second round. And uh, that's exactly how it went. You know, right at the end of the first round, you know, I caught him in a, a triangle choke and finished it just to, to prove to everybody that this kid did not have the skills, talent uh, to beat me. Absolutely. Now, uh, there's one thing uh, i got to ask you about is, um, before we talk about uh, your next fight, is uh, your nickname, Kryptonite. Uh, how, did, how did you get the nickname Kryptonite? Well, um, you know, in the, in the beginning, you know, we, you know, training with Rampage and a lot of other good guys, you know, Rampage told me, uh, hey, you know what, you need a, a fight name, something, you know, that people are going to remember you by, you know, because that's, that's what makes a fighter, their nickname. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. So, you know, come up with something. And uh, I had come up with the Lewis Maker. And I didn't <laughs> this day, you know, I love that name. I, I like wife, that. You know, I used it in my amateur fights, you know, my Muay Thai smokers. And, uh, you know, lived up to the name beautifully. You know, everybody I, I uh, spar or spot, you know, I, I TKO'd them or they, they ran and quit on the, you know, in the ring. So it was great. But then uh, come, you know, fight time for me, my wife's like, hey, you know what? I didn't get that name. I don't think a lot of people will get it. Why don't we change it? I'm like, so what? So uh, she was like, well, everybody thinks, you know, they're Superman. Why don't you be their kryptonite? I said, you know what? I like that. I get there, so uh, that's where Kryptonite came from. Well, uh, Kryptonite is a is a good nickname, but 
Oh, no, the wuss maker is original, and I like that. Not only that, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got to ask you, uh, do you think it made perfect sense uh, go, going into a fight against a gentleman who goes by the name of Colt? Oh, I know I just said perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I got to ask, how did, how did that come to be that you were on uh, Bully Beatdown with uh, Mayhem, Mayhem Miller's show? How did, how did that come to be in the first place? Well, at the time, uh, uh, Tina Keach had a, had a deal with um, Mark Burnett, who uh, ran that uh, Bully Beatdown show. So uh, Tina Keach could pick about seven or eight of his guys that he wanted to... Uh, Put on the show and use them, and I was, uh, you know, fortunate enough to be one of those guys. And uh, of course, uh, the first round uh, of uh, in Bully Beatdown is submission grappling, of course, and uh, you caught him in a in a variety of four. I don't know how many different uh, there were. I know you submitted him four times because he got his he got his thousand dollars for. Uh, for not being tapped out five times, you got him four times. Uh, how, how did you get him each time? You know what? Um, I uh, there was I, I know there was I think there was an arm bar, there was a uh, guillotine, and my favorite was just uh, how may have put it uh, a cowboy something where I mean like, I just pretty much I, I grabbed him like I would uh, you know like you know a cowboy's taking out a a cow, you know, just around the neck from from the front and just squeeze and, and crank and uh, he taps. So, but uh, you know, I said when I was out there, I was just having fun. And yep. the only reason the only reason he got that thousand dollars is because I had told the timekeeper for some reason I was having fun out there. I told him, tell me when there's a minute left so I make sure I get all the permissions in. Well, he told me when there was ten seconds left, and I was oh. I think about I was about two three seconds shy of that last submission, so. But it was fun. Now, despite the fact that you totally dominated, it, it looked like he was uh, somewhat of a pretty decent wrestler. Uh, was he a pretty strong kid to grapple with? You know, well, well, he had he had strength, but he didn't he didn't apply it the right way. You know, I mean, he, he wrestlers and grapplers two different sports, and uh, you know, when when uh, a wrestler applies the uh, the weight a certain way. You know, it works an advantage of the grappler because you know you're pushing right into a submission. So I mean, his 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 strength didn't help him at all. Okay, a moment of uh, technical difficulties, but uh, anyway, uh, as I was saying, Tony, uh, when you when it was uh, between rounds from the uh, grappling to the kickboxing, uh, you were taunting him. Were you pretty much asking him if he still wanted to go through with uh, what was coming up next? Actually, I was, I was telling him to quit. You know that there was there was nothing left for him to you know go into that second round, and uh, it'd be smart for him just to call it a day. And uh, you know he didn't take uh, advice on that. Yeah. So going going into that next round, I mean, you know it it was over a lot quicker than I was expecting. You know, I was you know I was hoping he'd be able to take a little bit more, but a couple of you know body shots, and that was it. He went down. So. And he stayed down for a while too. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that he definitely stayed down. And and then you told him I can't remember the name of the kid who was being bullied, but you told him, "Hey, he's got my phone number, so you better lay off." <laughs> yeah, yeah. His, his name was Timmy. Yeah, 
Terry. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, getting back to uh, your record, uh, your next two fights, unfortunately, you lost both your heavyweight and light heavyweight title, uh, both by decision, um, to... And one of them to somebody I know personally, and Mike Kyle. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about that fight a little bit. I do believe, uh, if I'm uh, correct, uh, that was Kyle's first fight at light heavyweight. Yeah, it was. Um, that fight there, you know, I was <clears throat> just after losing my heavyweight title belt, uh, you know, I was already on a on a down. You know, no motivation. I was, I just, I had plateaued. You know, I, I'd done everything I I set out to do, and, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was, you know, going anywhere, so I was just, like, unmotivated and just, just kind of at a standstill in my career. And uh, going into that fight, you know, I the first round opened up, and, you know, I laid into him and, you know, boom, put him in his place. And I knew, I, I you know, I, I could beat him. But after that, you know, I kind of slacked off a little in the second round and uh, just going through motions and, uh you know, he was tagging me up, and, uh, and I wonder if he knocked me out, you know. He ain't never been tagged, so he yeah. took two shots at me, and, and uh, that was it. Second round, you know, I got the first one, he got the second round. Here comes the third round, you know, my wife's yelling at me. You know, what the hell am I doing? So, you know, get something going. So the third round comes in, you know, uh, we end up against the cage, and, you know, I just I start dropping some hammer fists on him. He goes down, and I try and do some ground and pound, they stand us back up, and it's you know, back to the same thing, you know, where he's just uh, in and out, you know. You know, I, I called it running. Just running away from me, you know, every now and then, you know, coming in, throwing a few, you know, shots, landing them, running back out, you know, just scoring the points. And that was it, you know, fourth round goes, same thing. You know, I'm starting to get mad now because I'm like, okay, you know, you're hitting me, you know, with two, three shot combos, and then you're running. Um, and I put my hands down, I, I walked toward him, I told him, you know, come on, fight, knock me out, you know, hit me. And I was pissed, you know, I was like, come on, do something. Why are you running yeah. so much? So, uh, you know, he just kept hitting me, tapping me, tapping me, and that was it. Fifth round comes in, and, uh, and I'm trying to land hits, trying to do this, but, you know, yeah, if someone don't want to fight, and they run, and, you know, it's, it's hard to hit. So, uh, like I said, it went to a decision. I still, even to this day, that I still won, and people I talked to, you know, uh, uh, judges, refs, and, you know, even people from the state commission that were there and watched, you know, they all they all agree with me, thinking that I got robbed on that fight, but, hey, you let it go to the judges. I never, the judges can't expect nothing, so. Yeah, I'm, especially in the, uh, uh, that was in Reno, right? Uh, yeah. No, uh, yeah. no it, it was, that was in uh, New Mexico. Oh, New Mexico, Okay. So I was gonna say, uh, yeah, in the state of Nevada, you ne- especially Vegas or Reno, you never you never know with the judges. And in fact, I don't know if you'll agree or disagree with me on this statement, but I've I've been saying uh, if you have an IQ in the single digits, uh, you may be overqualified to be a judge in MMA. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're pretty right on with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully they'll they'll be fixing that soon. Um, Definitely props to the state of New Jersey after uh, suspending three judges in uh, that boxing match. That you know, so shows signs uh, uh, that uh, they're trying to improve something. So. Yeah. Um, now, not too long after that, you started winning uh, 
fights and uh, winning belts, actually, in other promotions. Uh, your next fight was against another uh, UFC veteran in Jason Lambert, and uh, pretty much uh, destroyed him. Why don't you tell our listeners about that fight? <laughs> uh, that was a pretty cool fight. You know, I'm lying in bed, you know, on Sunday morning, just kicking back, and I get a phone call from my coach telling me, hey, uh, you know, you got anything coming up, you know, next week? I'm like, no. He's like, you want to fight? I'm like, sure. You know, then the only question I asked was, uh, well, wait. He tells me light heavy. I say, okay, we can do this. So, uh, you know, pretty much, uh, I think the fight was on a Thursday or Friday, you know, but it was about four, four, four or five days before the actual fight date that, uh, you know, I had to lose 25 pounds. And, uh, you know, I get out there and, you know, start put on a sweatsuit, start running, you know, doing that thing to lose the weight, get out there, weigh in, and, you know, made the weight at 204 and a half, and uh, felt good going into the fight. I felt good, but I noticed that uh, my reaction time was really slow. You know, he'd go in for the shot, and by the time I realized he's, he's, you know, he's going, and my reaction was, hey, he's already there. He's already touching me, and I was like, ah, fighting and fighting it. But, uh, like I said, it was... It, it, like I said, I, I, I didn't like the fight because to me it seemed a little boring just because he kept trying to take me down instead of, you know, just standing and banging. You know, just keep throw a few and then just boom, go in and tie up and try and take me down. He took me down once, you know, I popped right back up. And, uh, you know, my corner working, working, my corner was telling me, hey, you know what, his head's wide open for the knee, you know. He keeps bending over, leaving it there. And I said, all right, you know. Next second round comes out. And uh, he ties up again, and uh, boom, there's the head. I turn, and I don't know if he slipped a little bit at the same time, and here comes the knee, and caught him right on the head, knocked him right out, you know. I got a be- beautiful picture of him on the ground, so that, that, yes. that was good for me. <laughs> now, then, yeah. uh, you also fought, uh, it wasn't too long after that, you uh, you fought uh, Jeff Monson, and I watched that fight, and that, that was that was a pretty good fight to watch. Uh, I I have to agree with the majority of the decision, unfortunately, because he did he did control the fight and taking you down and everything. But um, my question is, and I've been reading all this all over your uh, Facebook. You've been, you fought uh, a few UFC veterans and beat most of them. Uh-huh. And do you think it's uh, unfair that uh, you haven't had your shot in the UFC yet? Well, I do. You know, I mean, <clears throat> I think I've, I've proven myself. I mean, right now, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on a two-loss uh, streak right now. But, uh, you know, it, it's not reflective of what I've done. And, I mean, all these fights that I've taken in this year, you know, have all been... Uh, last-minute fights, you know, they call me up a week or, or two before the fight because someone gets hurt and it's like, hey, you know, I got a fight, and you, know, you want it? Of course, you know, I need, I need, to, I need to pay bills, so I take it, and, uh, you know, a lot of these people, you know, like I said, they're, I'm, I, I'm known for standing and banging and being able to take a shot, and all, all everybody wants to do when they get in the cage with me is take me down, hold me, you know, hey, put him on the ground, you, you can't do much to you, you can't do nothing, and, you know, just hold on to him, and, hey, you win by a decision. Uh, now, say you do get that shot, or you get a, you know, you go on the ultimate fighter, you get that shot. Uh, 
um, what what weight do you think you'd want to compete at in the UFC specifically? Well, I like, I mean, I like, like I mean, I like heavyweight just because, you know, I don't have to lose any weight. I mean, right now I'm walking around at about 210. So it's only, uh-huh. you know, five pounds I'd have to lose to go to light heavyweight. But just the thought of having to lose weight is, is, is uh, annoying to me. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I, I got the mentality of I don't care how big you are or what size you are. You know, if you want to fight, I'm going to fight you. You know, so if you're coming in at, you know, 265 and just barely making making weight, hey, that's fine. You know, if we were outside the cage and, you know, we were in the streets, someone approached me and, they, you know, they're 400 pounds, you know, seven foot tall, and, you know, it had to come down to it, I wouldn't be like, oh, wait a minute, you know, you outweigh me and uh, you're too tall, I can't fight you, it's not fair. No, so I feel the same way in the cage, you know, it's like... So weight to me doesn't matter, and uh, height, size, it, it just comes down to skill. So what do you know? Now, I believe that uh, two, between 205 and 265 is just too huge of a gap, But uh, and uh, I would hope to see one day they put in like a cruiserweight division. How would you feel about that? I wouldn't like it. You, I, mean, you, uh-huh. I wouldn't like it at all. I mean, okay. it's just, it goes back to what I just said, you know. Weight yeah. shouldn't have, shouldn't play a factor. And, you know, if if someone wants to, you know, like, you know, yeah, they weigh 265 and you're, you're you know, you're a 220, you know, and all they want to do is use their weight to, you know, press you up against the cage and hold you there or take you down and just lay on you. I mean, it, I mean it's a fight. It's always in the name, you know. The ultimate fighting championship, you know. And, of the cage, you know, Gladiator Challenge, all those names just represent, you know, it's a fight. It ain't, you know, let me lay on you and uh, have someone tell me I won. So, I mean, you know, if you, if you got the skills, if someone's big, hey, don't, don't get stuck under them. You know, I've made that mistake of, you know, getting stuck under these heavier opponents or, you know, not just defending the takedown and uh, letting them play their game on me. But, you know, like I said, I'm working on my uh, takedown defense and my wrestling skills just so that if someone else does try and do that again, you know, it's like that ain't going to happen. It's going to be a fight. Now, is there anybody specifically out there you think you'd like to fight? You know, I mean, just anybody from the UFC just says, hey, they're at the top. I want to prove that, I, you know, I belong there. So, I mean, anybody that's, that's there now, you know, I'd love to fight. No, no one in, exactly in particular. I mean, if it came down to it, I mean, if I had to pick pick somebody, I mean, I, I would say, you know, Anderson Silva, just because I, I respect him as a fighter, what he's done, and, you know, just for the same reason, he, he stands and bangs, you know. I've never seen him try and take someone down because, oh, hey, this guy's better than me at standing or, or whatever, you know. Yeah, I've, I've never seen him in... Uh all of his the history of his fights, even before the UFC, I have never seen him try to take somebody down. So you, you've got a very good point there. I mean, his submissions are very good, and and uh, his his striking. I mean, he's got head movement uh, that I have not seen in slipping punches since Muhammad Ali. So I've I've not seen anybody do that what he's done since Muhammad Ali, and that says something to me right there. Yeah. Uh, um. 
So uh, I, I guess you you have well proven yourself, and if it was up to me, you'd be in the UFC or Strike Force. How close do you think you are to that uh, to that goal? You know what? I, I took uh, my career one step further and uh, got myself a manager to see if that'll make a difference. You know, I've been uh, pretty much doing it all by myself or, you know, with, with my coach, and uh, it hasn't been working. So I got myself a manager to see if maybe he steers me in the right direction, whether it's with my fights, you know, my career, whatever it takes. But, I, you know, the whole point is to get me into the UFC or Strike Force. So we'll see how that goes. Absolutely. Yeah, my fingers crossed. Now, I do I do have to ask you this. Say you go into strike force at heavyweight, how would you feel about a match with uh, Alistair? You know, he, I doubt he's going to try to take you down. Well, um, <laughs> I would, you know what? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past him. Because I, yeah. I mean, I've, I've not met one person that has not tried to take me down. Even if they were bigger than me, stronger, you know, or they're straight out brawlers. And it's always come down to, you know what, hey, take him down because you know, he's got that reach on you, this, that, whatever. So, I mean, I wouldn't put it past Overeem to try and take me down after maybe, say, two, three minutes of standing and then realizing, yeah. hey, you know, I can't get in on this guy or this is too tough. You know, I got to do some ground and pound or, or change it up, but standing ain't working. So, you know, I'd love to fight. I'd love to fight any of those guys. Or even you and Czech Congo, you know, that, that'd be a pretty good fight, too. And I think, uh, I don't know if you've got more reach than him, but uh, I think uh, he pro- he's probably one out there in the heavyweight division that has uh, reach almost equal to yours. So that might be interesting, too. Yeah, I, I sparred with Czech once. Actually, it was right before uh, our heavyweight title. Well, tell, tell the listeners about that. Please do tell. Oh, uh, you know what? It's a good one, too, because, uh, you know, we're out there sparring. And when, when I spar with guys, I never go hard. I never hit them hard. And, uh, like, with Congo, he was telling me, you know, hit harder, you know, you know, put more behind it. And I'm used to sparring guys that when I spar with them, if I hit them hard, they go cry, and I don't want to spar him no more. You know, he hits too hard. So, anyways, me and Congo, you know, we're going back and forth. I'm trying to pick it up, hit him harder, you know. It was, it was good, you know, moving around, just bouncing around. And on one, I throw a kick to his head. But at the same time, he throws a kick to my, my, my supporting leg and kicks me right in the calf. And, well, what do you know? That calf just starts swelling up immediately. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. it, it, it tripled in size. And I was like, what the hell's going on? You know, why is it doing that? I mean, and I had all my weight on there. You know, I was flexing my calf. And right when he hit it, just being Charlie Horse. And so it, it swelled up. And, uh, that was, I, I believe, a week before my heavyweight title fight against Wes Combs. And so, oh, okay. like, uh, all training stopped, and, you know, I, I, could, I was limping. Even the day of the fight, I was limping. But uh, when we had to walk down some, like, some bleachers, and I was uh-huh. like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I can make it down those bleachers without showing that injury. But, no, you know, like I said, it was, it was, it was fun sparring with Chuck Congo, you know. And like I said, I mean, yeah, our reach was pretty much identical. Might have had yeah. just a hair on me, but like I said, it just, you know, it was, it was fun up until the part where, you know, he kicked me in my calf. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, what's uh, very fortunate about your fighting career is you had the uh, opportunity to travel and go to other countries. You fought in Korea. You fought in Australia. To, uh, 
and obviously in Canada. And uh, one fight that just got postponed, but uh, should uh, should happen in uh, September, is uh, the fight against Gilbert Ivel with full pride rules. How do you feel about uh, going going into a fight like that? Uh, obviously, you can't elbow to the head, but you can kick and stomp to a grounded opponent. How do you feel about going into that fight? I mean, I, I feel good. You know, it's, it's just a little for changing all the variety. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. So, you know, I'm looking at, like, for some reason I end up on hey, you know, can I defend that kick and the foot stomp and all that? You know, just curiosity on that part. But same thing if, if, he, if I, you know, knock him down, you know, how, how good is he going to feel? You could just kick someone in the head or stomp them in the head when on the ground. But it's just, like I said, something different, something new. Yeah. A little more barbaric, but, you know, just curiosity about about that. Well, the way this fight goes, I mean, yeah, I would not be surprised if uh, Gilbert tries to take you to the ground, but I would not be surprised if he wants to stand up. He's crazy. So this, this is going to be a good test for you, and it's going to be an exciting fight, and I look forward to seeing it. So. I look forward to it, too. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, we're getting, it's getting close time to wrap it up. I want to go ahead, Tony, and give you a chance to... Uh, thank your sponsors and let our listeners know where you can be found on the internet. Well, I'm, first of all, my sponsors, you know, uh, Iron Fist, making me my shorts the whole time all the way through, you know, it's, and they're for me, always helps me out with a lot of stuff, last minute things, you know, he's always there, always counting them. Booyah, same thing, you know, they back me up 100%, you know, whenever I need something, they're there for me. Um, the mask suit, got to thank them, you know, because uh, they gave me a suit that, you know, just helps out with my stamina and everything I do in the ring. And, uh, let's see. Oh, and, there, you know, anyway, anyone can find me on uh, Facebook under Tony Cristiano Lopez. That's, that's usually where I'm at all the time. So. Absolutely. Tony, it's been a pleasure having you here on the show, and best of luck to you in the future. Thanks, man. It was, a, it was an honor being on the show, too. So. And ladies and gentlemen, there you have the uh, classic interview with Tony Kryptonite Lopez. Yes, that was on the Badlands Combat Sports Radio Show 10 years ago, back in 2011. All right, it's time to go to the next music set. Coming up, I have New Breed. Yeah, uh, not with Jesse Howard this time. Just one song uh, by New Breed here that's very good. It'll be followed by Bryn Hill. He'll be followed by Nick Nolan, we got Spike Coggins, and Tom Russell. We'll be right back after this. How dare you and who in the hell fuck do you think you are? You're listening to Outlaw Radio, where we're proper gentlemen, because we always ask... Do you mind if I fart? You really know how to waste a Cialis, don't you? You're abusing my fan. They praying for my downfall, they hope that I don't make it I came up off the bench to coach, 
never surviving Broke inside but smiling Ain't no hope inside but I'm trying Trying to cope with all this violence Got these voices in my head But I just try to keep them silent Cause if they come alive It won't be no denying I'm a bad guy Lots of women trade, I did shows up out of state and some of them shows I never got paid Been plotted on a scheme dorm, been locked inside a cage Always say what I believe in and never act my age Overcame what I have faced and I'm still chasing all my dreams If they hated me back then, they gon' hate me till I leave Never punked out, never back down, better take a look at my background Might have fell off but I'm back now and I'm killing every track now I'll never break, I'll never fold, I'm never fake, I'm forever cold I overdosed on real life, that's just the way my story Trust nobody out here, I'm riding all alone Used to be deep in the game, though, but now I'm in the zone Keep thinking it's a game, though, and I'ma let you know I'm a bad guy My black bag got in jail. I was in jail, like in California. They arrest you. They be serious. They look all in your asshole in jail. You talking about degraded, nigga? They degrade you immediately. Take off your looking. I don't know what they be looking for. I said, "What you looking for, man? In my ass? Ain't nothing in my ass. If I had a pussy, I might could dig it, but." rough in jail because you can get an ass whooping in jail and nobody care. They was going to whoop my ass and just walk by the nigga. That's the policeman. He talking about, why don't you cooperate? <laughs> my name is Conley Hill. I died in 1981 Gunned down in cold blood By an outlaw on the run On a cold gray afternoon I felt that bitter chill By the banks of the Hawaii My soul, it lives there still my partner, William Pogue, he fell that day with me. A 
straight and honest lawman, as fair as he could be. His good name put on trial. We watched in disbelief as the system we relied on set a killer all but free. But with every freedom comes an even greater cost. The answer seldom easy. The questions sometimes lost. For though our lives were shortened, our work was not in vain. And given one more chance. Wear that badge again. Now many years gone by, our families carry on. Though our lives have been lost. Legacy grows strong, and every man must answer to the things that he has done. We find our peace in knowing the judgment day shall come. Convictions forged in campfires for the work we live and breathe. Let the burden be to those who live farther on than me. The Owyhees to the Sawtooths. Let the Boise run its mile. Let our memories stand for all that there is while. For with every free. Comes an even greater cost. The answer seldom easy. The question sometimes lost. For though our lives were shortened, our work was not in vain. Given one more chance, I'd wear that badge again. Given one more chance, I'd wear that badge again.
In a land the Spanish once had called a northern mystery Where rivers run and disappear and the Mustang still lives free By the devil's wash in the coyote hole in the wild Oahe range Somewhere in the sage tonight the wind calls out his name ay, ay, ay. Come gather round me, buckaroos, a story I will tell Of the fugitive Claude Dallas, who just broke out of jail You may think this tale is a history from before the West was won But the events that I'll describe took place in 1981 He was born out in Virginia, he left home when school was through and in the deserts of Nevada, he became a buckaroo. And he learned the ways of cattle, and he learned to sit a horse. And he always packed a pistol, and he practiced deadly force. And then Claude became a trapper, and he dreamt of the bygone days. And he studied bobcat logic and the wild and silent ways. In the bloody runs near paradise And the monitors down south Trapping cats and coyotes And living hand to mouth Aye, aye, aye Then Claude took to living all alone Out many miles from town A friend Jim Stevens brought supplies And he stayed to hang around That day two wardens Pogue and Elms drove in to check Claude out They were seeking violations And to see what Claude's about Now Claude had hung some venison He had a bobcat pelt or two Pogue claimed they were out of season He said, Dallas, you're all through But Dallas would not leave his camp He refused to go to town as the wind howled through the bull camp, they stared each other down. It's hard to say what happened next, perhaps we'll never know. And they were gonna take Claude into jail, and he vowed he'd never go. Jim Stevens heard the gunshot, and when he turned around, Bill Pope was falling backwards, Conley Elms, he fell face down, I I I. Stevens walked on over There was a gun near Bill Pogue's hand It's hard to say who'd drawn his first But Claude had made his stand Claude said, I'm justified They were gonna gun me down And a man's got a right to hang some meat When he's living this far from town It took 18 men Fifteen months to finally hunt Claude down In the sage outside of paradise They ran him to the ground 
Convicted up in Idaho, manslaughter by decree. Twenty years at maximum, but soon Claude would break free. There's two sides to the story, there may be no right or wrong. The lawman and the renegade have graced a thousand songs. The story is an old one, a conclusion's hard to draw. But Claude's out in the sage tonight, he may be the last outlaw. Aye, aye, aye. In a land the Spanish once had called the Northern Mystery Where rivers run and disappear and the Mustang still lives free By the devil's wash in the coyote hole in a wild Oahe range Somewhere in the sage tonight the wind calls out his name I I Worldwide, nations have been stripped of their rights and freedoms to make their own choices in life. Choices are made for them by their government. Insane, isn't it? Attend Red Pill Expo 2021, November 6th and 7th at the Cajun Dome in Lafayette, Louisiana. Can't make it to Lafayette? The Expo will be live streamed and archived should you miss any of it. Red Pill Expo is the major public event of Red Pill University. The mission of the Expo and the University is to bring together world-class experts to set the record straight on fake narratives, fake history, and fake news. At each and every Red Pill Expo, truth seekers unite to get a better understanding of how the world really works, a world where collectivism reigns. It's time for individualism and an open mind. Mark your calendars and make your plans now to attend Red Pill Expo 2021. Get more details and register today at redpillexpo.org. At some point, you're going to want to consider this. If a national emergency or a natural disaster or even civil unrest should occur, where would you go? Seriously, where? Heading into the sticks with some MREs in a tent might be all right for a week or two, but then what? And who's around you? Who can help you if you need it? And how long would you last without the security and comfort of your own home? If you've asked yourself these questions, consider X-Point. Located in the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota, a limited number of military-grade hardened shelters originally built by the U.S. government. 80 feet long, 26 feet wide, 12 and a half foot ceilings that you can custom build out to your own tastes. X-Point, a nine square mile city of like-minded people who know that the best way to deal with the disaster is to distance yourself from it. If you've always wanted a real bug out bunker with the amenities of home, send an email to brendy at arcmidnight.com or text to 817-900-2424. X-Point, X marks your spot. 
Chaz Mitchell Custom Hats makes and sells custom hats with a Western influence. These hats are not cheesy, one-size-fits-all, except they're not cowboy hat knockoffs. Chaz Mitchell will custom design and build a genuine hat just for you, the way you want it. Chaz will actually measure your head, talk with you about the hat you desire, make it, and deliver it to you. You'll make a statement every time you put on your hat. Originally from Jigs, Nevada, Chaz Mitchell grew up cowboy and alongside his father, Waddy Mitchell. They built their first hats together at a workshop in Elko, Nevada. Chaz recalls his father once telling him, make a hat he would be proud to wear. After years of practice and studying hats and their owners, Chaz knows what makes a good hat maker. It's understanding that a hat doesn't only fit the circumference of the head, but also the personality of the owner. Get in touch with Chaz today, and he'll build you a hat you will be proud to wear. Visit Chaz Hats, that's C-H-A-Z-H-A-T-Z dot com. Left-wing community organizers and campus radicals in Idaho are still up to their dirty tricks, teaching Idaho kids from cradle to college that white people are inherently racist. Now, these left-wing nuts are taking the whole race thing to a whole new level with critical race theory. According to critical race theory, teaching children math, arithmetic, is racist. Shakespeare, Shakespeare, racist. Can you say ridiculous? Malcolm X warned against critical race theory. It's very harmful. It's wrong. And the leftist nuts teaching this stuff to our children know it. Join Idaho Freedom Action to put an end to this leftist takeover of education in Idaho. Join the fight against the teaching of critical race theory to Idaho's youngsters. Visit IdahoFreedomAction.org today. IdahoFreedomAction.org building in a little hick town. This is Outlaw Radio. I'm not in a mood to deal with you today, you stupid asshole! All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outlaw Radio, brought to you by Coldcock Whiskey. Raise your glass, take your shot. You must be 21 years of age or older to drink. Hunter Athletic, gear up, let's train. And Neutronics IGF-1, making men, men again. The song you just heard, you just heard Tom Russell with Claude Dallas. Before that, Spike Coggins with Warm Wood and Fire. Before that, Nick Nolan with Hang Em High. Before that, Bryn Hill with The Ballad of Elms and Pogue. And starting off the whole set, New Breed with Bad Guy. And uh, yes, uh, there are three songs in that set relating to the case of Claude Dallas and the murder of... Conley Elms and Bill Pogue. And uh, why is that? Well, let's find out on the Steve Solution. I don't care who you're voting for, Democrat or Republican, you need to be able to prove who you are. Because what's to stop tons and tons of individuals for whatever party, for whatever office, of registering repeatedly and sending different people into polling stations or the same person into polling stations over and over and over again using different voter registration cards when they've obviously voted fraudulently several times over. This is the Steve Solution with Stephen James on Outlaw Radio. What's up, boys and girls? Stephen James here. Nice to talk to you guys again. Obviously, we weren't on last week because... Chris came on and called an audible for us and did some weird news because I was busy with work. 
thank you very much to him for doing that for me. Today we've got an interesting case that has a lot of people familiar with it, very divided. Uh, Billy, you know the background of a little bit better than this. You want to set it up for us? Yeah, so I, I actually personally requested to talk about this, and I've brought this uh, case up in the past when I talked to Spike Coggins last Halloween because he wrote a song about it. Of course, that being Wormwood and Fire. And, um, you know, I also talked a little bit about it with uh, Nate Sylvester, too. The thing is, with the case of Claude Dallas, I have very mixed feelings about this. Uh, I think that... Uh, well, first off, let's get dip, dip into the history of Claude Dallas himself. He was a man born in Virginia, and uh, basically, uh, I th- I think at a young age, I don't know uh, the details on this, but I'm I'm assuming at a, at a young age he fell in love with history, particularly the Old West, and uh, so you know he he uh, grew up in Ohio and then decided to go out west. Um, where I, I he also got in trouble for uh, draft dodging. But uh, that case was dismissed. But he went out to Oregon, and, and uh, I think he hitchhiked most of the way, too. He, he was a very, very independent man and wanted to prove how independent he was. I mean, should have done it on horseback, then. <laughs> he didn't have a horse was the thing. In fact, at that time, he didn't even know how to ride. He, um, you know, he was 40 miles from the, uh, he walked 40 miles from Burns, Oregon, to this uh, ranch that uh, he w- wanted to seek work as a buckaroo for. And uh, he, with no experience but but willing to learn, they hired him on, and he turned out to be one of the best ranch hands they ever had. And then after, after you know, he put in some years of uh, buckarooing, he uh, decided to go on his own and, and live as a mountain man. And... Uh, you know, he set up camp at Bull Camp, uh, southern Idaho, not too far from the Nevada border, where which was where uh, game wardens tried to bust him for poaching. So, the more the day this all happened, a, a man named Jim Stevens was bringing him supplies, and um, Claude Dallas set off. Uh, he set up this uh, gunshot warning where if anybody was going to come visit him, they had to bring a gun and fire two shots in the air to let him know that uh, they were in the area. And, of course, Jim Stevens brought him some fruit and whatnot because all Claude Dallas had was meat in his camp. And then Stevens went off uh, with a metal detector to go look for things like arrowheads and artifacts that might have been in the area. And uh, lo and behold, uh, shortly after, here come the two game wardens, uh, Bill Pogue and Conley Elms, um, had got tipped off that he was poaching in the area, and yes, he uh, killed a deer out of season. He killed some bobcats and out of season, and uh, he tried to bust them. Uh, Jim Stevens' back was uh, turned, and then all of a sudden, he turns around after shots were fired to see that Claude Dallas had pulled a 357 Magnum and killed both of the game wardens. Uh, with his pistol, but then he finished the job by going into his tent, grabbing a twenty-two rifle, and shooting each one of them behind the ear. Then, of course, he does the dumb fuck thing of trying to hide the bodies. Well, he takes Bill Pogue's body and puts it in the back of uh, Jim Stevens' truck. Uh, Conley Elms was a big, big man. I think he he must have been uh, at least like two hundred and sixty-five pounds and too heavy to haul, so they put him in the nearby Owyhee River. 
And so, obviously, he couldn't hide that evidence, which I don't get. He, Claude Dallas had two mules that could have packed the body. But uh, he, he said even uh, Conley Elms was too big for the mules to haul, which I, I don't know. I don't know about I'm that. I'm not buying that. That's just lazy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, here's the thing that where I get mixed on it, Stephen, is uh, Bill Pogue. I actually know some of his family members. Um, and Bill Pogue had the reputation of being a bully. I mean, he, he was like a man who couldn't make it as a cop, so he became a game warden officer, and he loved to show off his muscle. And how do I know this is because he tried to get one of my uncles for poaching. The thing was, my uncle was unarmed and, and not even hunting at the time. But Bill Pogue screamed at him, tried to, like, don't, you know, don't you, don't you uh, mouth off to me, boy. You've been poaching elk, haven't you? You know, it had his hand on his gun the entire time. And there are other multiple complaints that were turned into the fishing game office about him, but nothing was ever done. And, uh, yeah, Bill Pogue was a man who liked to show off his muscle and, uh, and intimidate people. Well, he uh, found in Claude Dallas, uh, Claude Dallas was a man that he couldn't intimidate. And if given a reputation that he has, did he draw first on Claude Dallas and, and it was it self-defense? I don't know. I mean, um, only Claude Dallas himself knows that who walks a free man today after being let out of prison in 2005. But uh, Stephen, over, overall, you looked at the case. You, you read the stories and saw the videos. I mean, looking over the whole thing. And by the way, there is a blog written by uh, Top of the Mountain who says uh, Bill Pogue was unarmed, which is a bunch of bullshit because, uh, I'm sorry, soldiers don't go into battle without their swords. Oh, no, there was no doubt that he was armed. That's you know part of the job. And if he did have a reputation for being a bully and an asshole, he sure as hell would, you know, love to, you know, show off the fact that he was armed. So I would almost guarantee that, actually, I would guarantee as former law enforcement, period, you, the only time you're unarmed is when you are bringing a prisoner into the jail and you have a lockbox to place your weapon in, or you secure it in your vehicle, whichever. But... That's the only time is going into a jail or prison that while on duty, you are not armed. That is a requirement of every law enforcement agency in this country, bar none. So there's absolutely no doubt in my mind he was certainly armed. And uh, one thing that's for sure is Claude Dallas also... Um Bill Bill Pogue told Conley Elms to go inspect his tent, and uh, uh, Dallas was like, hell no, you can't do that. You need a warrant. Well, one thing about uh, law enforcement, uh, you know, most divisions of law enforcement do need a warrant to search. But in, in my knowledge, game wardens do not. So It's a fine line, and debating whether or not you know, obviously none of us were there, so we can't, you know, completely attest to what was said and done. But in a good many circumstances, yes, a search warrant is needed. 
However, if there is probable cause, and I don't know because I wasn't there whether or not there was probable cause. For example, you know, when he said search the tent, did he see something from where he was standing that would it would indicate probable cause uh, for him to do that? I mean, for example, uh, in a you know regular law enforcement situation, let's say I pull somebody over. Mm-hmm. And when they roll the window down to, sorry, I'm getting distracted. I've got a mosquito flying around me and it's driving me absolutely bad shit. Anyway, when they roll the window down, if I detect the smell of marijuana, that is probable cause to search the vehicle. Well, I would think because uh, Claude Dallas had, uh, had venison in plain sight that might be probable cause to search, but then again, uh, you know, you can, you can. I don't, I don't know the hunting regulations in Idaho. Maybe you could shed some light on this. Uh, at this time of year, uh, is hunting uh, deer legal? No, that he he did kill that deer out of season. He, okay. He, then, he, then if then if the venison was in plain sight, that could. Uh, definitely constitute probable cause. I mean, a judge may argue one way or the other because you can't prove whether or not at that point, whether it was fresh, if there was blood dripping off of it, or if it was had been salted, dried, and rehydrated. I can't say, but that would be a determination for a judge. As a law enforcement officer on the scene, I would say that would be acceptable probable cause for me to go ahead and conduct the search. Now, given the fact of was it self-defense or was it murder? First off, if it was this, Claude Dallas taking out that rifle and shooting them uh, both behind the ears like uh, like you do an animal. I mean, it, that's execution style. That's automatically murder. Now, if the initial shooting, if he felt that you know his life was in danger at that point, you surrender your weapon to the other officer. Mm-hmm. Let yourself be placed under arrest and avail yourself of the justice system. So I'm, you know, given the fact that Bill Pogue was an asshole, you know, I mean, doesn't uh, doesn't justify the way he killed those two game game officers. And I can't, I don't know anything about uh, the personality of Conley Elms, so I can't say much about him. But like I said, I know relatives of Bill Pogue. And uh, I know other people who have encountered Bill Pogue, and they had nothing good to say about him. And, uh, you know, I... But, be, but being an asshole and a bully is, you know, the sentence for that is not execution. Exactly, exactly. And so it do, I don't think it warrants what, uh, what Claude Dallas did. I, you know, I think Claude Dallas was in the wrong, and... And um, should have he been charged with murder? I, it's tough to say because of the way Bill Pogue was, you know. Because if he felt threatened uh, and felt the need to defend his life, even if it is up against law enforcement, a man does have a have a right to defend his life. However, the execution style that was done and hiding the bodies, I mean, as much as I. You know, uh, Claude Dallas is a man who loves his freedom and, and uh, basically, uh, 
you know, he's hailed as a hero by by some people and hailed by the by, as a monster that he is. So it's just so mixed for me. But uh, he was definitely in the wrong, and and should have been punished. Maybe um, if murder one even executed. Well, I can't say premeditated murder because pre not pre pre not premeditated, but murder one does include murder with special circumstances, and the fact that he shot them both execution style and hid the bodies completely takes murder to manslaughter or anything like that off the table. It is automatically it. Even if the initial shooting was self-defense and even if cop one uh, officer Pope was the asshole and I'm not saying the guy was not an asshole. I don't know. Don't know him. I don't know anything other than what I've read Uh from a legal standpoint. And honestly, from a law enforcement standpoint, no, uh, you know, I, I, I like the fact that, you know, Mr. Dallas was a free spirit and all that kind of shit. Although there are a lot of reports that he wasn't just this guy. He was a lot of people say he was an asshole poacher. And that's all he really was. Yeah, he liked to live off the land, but he also liked to make money by, you know, selling what he killed and selling the pelts and all that kind of stuff. So for me, I get why you are a bit conflicted because there's a tiny bit of a family connection there. I certainly understand that, but looking at it and to be fair, I was completely unaware of this case until you brought it to my attention and I researched it. And as you know, a former law enforcement official, there's no confliction for me whatsoever. I admire, you know, anyone that wants to be, a free spirit and, you know, go out there and forge their own path in the world. But you can't do that by executing law enforcement, no matter how big of a dick they are. True. True. Another thing too, is uh, I, when it comes to hunting and fishing, I, I, uh, I, this is where I really uh, don't like Claude Dallas is I hate trapping. I, if you can't, if you can't sneak up on them with a gun, that you or, or wait for them to come to you. Yeah, I mean you don't need to put them in a situation where they're suffering for hours before you can go help, go put them out of their misery and and baiting I'm, illegal bait in the trap. I don't know know anything about that, but my grandfather was a trapper and um, and still I I disapprove of trapping. You do you do it with a gun and if you're going to kill an animal, you do it with mercy. I understand the concept of trapping as where it, you know, came from back when, you know, settlers were coming up with the land. Yeah. They were they were obviously very very busy building their, you know, their cabins and farms and all that kind of stuff and they had to be able to, you know, find a way to feed their families. I totally understand that. In today's world, in the last, really, I would honestly say 100 years, easy, there's no reason for it. Yes. Especially so, since, you know, since repeating rifles and, and scopes and everything else, I'm sorry, but I know people that work 80 hours a week, and when it comes hunting season, they, you know, get off work you know, after working two eight-hour shifts or a 12 or 14-hour shift, 
come home, go right to bed so that they can get up at three o'clock in the damn morning, put their stuff in the truck and go out there and freeze their nuts off in the cold and dark so that they can wait for a deer to happen to walk by so that they can patiently sit there with their bow or their rifle and get their kill. Yep. Or- I'm not a hunter. I respect that. But no, there's no reason for trapping in this day and age. Yes. So, yeah, this actually took place in 1981. I didn't really state that earlier, but, uh, you know, just the, when the story comes up, like I said, I have the conflicted feelings. But my final conclusion is that uh, Claude Dallas was in the wrong. He did commit murder. However, he was a smooth enough talker to get um, to get manslaughter. And, of course, he escaped prison. That's the other thing I was going to bring up. Yeah. I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> you get convicted of a crime. I mean, history is full of stories. You know, you take somebody like, uh, you know, you're a big proponent for South Africa. Nelson Mandela is the greatest example. Yeah, exactly. Did he ever attempt to escape from prison? No. He patiently waited and did the process. If he wanted to get out of prison, there are ways and means and legal methods to do it. No, he was just a bitch that didn't want to sit in a cell and figured out a way to get out and did and was on the run and got his ass thrown back in there. Personally, I would have buried him underneath the solitary confinement cell. Now, one more thing, because we are running fastly out of time. Um, People, they're also ignorant people, I'll say, that uh, categorize Claude Dallas as a Ted Bundy or a Richard Ramirez or, or, uh, you know, right along those lines, serial killers we talked about before. Uh, Claude Dallas, I don't think, wanted to kill those game warden officers. It was it, it was a heat of the moment thing. But uh, he definitely does not deserve that label like, like those monsters. What do you think? No, I would definitely not classify him uh, anywhere near serial killer. I do believe it wasn't even a heat of the moment. It was... For all his toughness of, you know, living out in nature by himself, at heart, he's a little bitch. And he didn't want to go to jail. That's all it was. Yeah, he went, oh, shit, I'm going to go to jail. But, hey, if I kill these guys and make the bodies disappear, I'm not going to go to jail. And you can't accuse him of intelligence because, first off, I don't care how far they had to drag the big guy, put him on the mule, have the mule drag the big guy. Doesn't matter. You, if you're gonna do it, make the fucking body disappear. Yeah, and you're good, and don't involve anyone else. Yes. Well, Jim Stevens was there by chance, uh, but well, uh, but he he didn't have a choice in that one. But the, yeah. he also. They drove to, uh, I believe it was a gas station where... Uh, about, uh, yeah, they, they drove a good distance, at least 200 miles. And, right, and I forget the gentleman's name, but he was a bit of a father figure to uh, Claude Dallas. His first name was George, and that's all I remember. Okay, George. Yeah. Okay, well, they drove to the gas station that George ran and woke him up in the middle of the night and like, here, look at the body. That's yeah. not the mark of an intelligent person. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to even go that far... 
just go, hey, I'm sorry, it's an emergency. I need to borrow your truck. Not, hey, I killed two game wardens. Yeah. Well, we, Dumbass. <laughs> well, Stephen, we are out of time, and I'm sorry it was so short. <laughs> but no, uh, it was. It was. I mean, it wasn't a lengthy topic, so it was all fine. right. So on the agenda for next week is yet to be determined, but we're going to end the show with Viper Arms with their song Sightseeing to Hell. Thank you very much for tuning in to Outlaw Radio. And I'll and be back. And the Steve Solution. Yes. I'll, we'll be back next week. Are you tired of modern pop music that sounds like a dog fucking a squeaky toy? Well, that's why you're listening to Outlaw Radio. We tell bad bed music to piss up a rope. We give you our opinions, and if a fight breaks out, so fucking what? This is Outlaw Radio. Perhaps you're in a band, or maybe you run a radio show or podcast. Whatever you do, you want to market your brand with custom-made apparel. 
Look no further than Fresh Baked Tees. T-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, caps, beanies, koozies, banners, and even masks. You can get them all custom made from Fresh Baked Tees. Prices are reasonable and negotiable. Simply go to FreshBakedTees.com, submit your logo, and place your order today. Support Outlaw Radio and friends and buy some cool stuff in the store section of OutlawRadioABS.com. Show the world how much you love Outlaw Radio with Outlaw Radio t-shirts and hats. In the CTM store, a service of Caravan to Midnight, find items to help make your life easier and better, including water purification by Berkey, delicious long-term storable food by My Patriot Supply, the New Eden Nutritional Support System, the Ionic Toothbrush System, a better way to clean your teeth, the Invisible Mask, a negative ion generator, that hangs from your neck like a pendant that mitigates incoming pollution. The high ion bio key quantum scalar energy pendant, EMF mitigating fabrics and clothing, and some really cool infrared night vision binoculars. In the Cranked Up Coffee Shop, a service of Cranked Up Live, entertain your taste buds with coffee that even the aficionados love. Some of the best blends from around the world, including Serato and Grindhouse Brew. Visit outlawradioabs.com and click on the store link. A service of Outlaw Radio and AOW Productions. You've heard the phrase, America's most loved brands. And what exactly did our loyalty to some of those most loved brands get us? I'll tell you what, money and lots of it. For organizations and their ideologies that directly conflict with American core values and the American way of life. Enter Etruzu.com, a place for patriots to buy and sell. You can open your own online store for as little as $25 per month and grow your business as big as you want. Buy from patriots and sell to patriots. Everything from ordinary household items to absolutely anything that's available from companies that do not have our country's best interests at heart. With Etruzu.com, you know who you're buying from and you know who you're selling to. Let's make your brand one of America's most loved. Get started at etruzu.com. E-T-R-U-Z-O-O.com. Etruzu, a place where patriots buy and sell. Hi, it's the Big Voice Guy. The one who intros and promos the show you're listening to right now. Hi, my name is Jim Hunt. I voice for a growing list of internet and terrestrial radio stations, podcasts, and businesses. I'd love to spread the word about yours, too. No matter if the message is serious or silly. Whether you want the delivery to be hard-hitting, voice of authority, or conversational, warm, and fuzzy. From fully produced station imaging and commercials to custom phone system messages on hold and IVR prompts, voiceovers for computer games to narrations for presentations, even post-production audio editing and audio cleanup services. Yeah, I do them too. I'm your guy. I do business as Jim Hunt voiceovers and audio services. My rates are reasonable and negotiable because I love internet radio too. Visit my website, jimhuntvo.com. I'm Jim Hunt, at your service. Put my voice and audio production skills to work for you. Let's do this. You have been listening to Outlaw Radio. Be sure to leave your feedback by calling 208-957-7016. All feedback is played and replied to on the show. Visit our 
official website at OutlawRadioABS.com. Outlaw Radio is a presentation of AOW Productions. Here I am sitting on a porch writing another song about Waylon Willie David Allen Cole. You can't go wrong. Such great outlaw boys just like me. Jones Can't go wrong 